the blast from our past network. Hey, this is Zach Ward, better known as Scott Farkas from A Christmas Story, or Nikolai Zhnofov from Resident Evil Apocalypse, or Dave from Titus. And you are listening to Podcasting After Dark. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Margot Kidder, and Keir Dulay. Ho, 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 fuck. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to Podcasting After Dark, an hour review of Black Christmas 1974. I am one half of the pad team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, my brother from another mother, my partner in crime, Zach, the total snackage, Schaefer. What's up, my man? Where's Billy? Where's Billy? <laughs> I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna destroy you. Oh, hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> what's happening? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Festivus. Festivus for Wait, the rest I don't, of us. I don't even know what the hell that was. <laughs> Do it, Billy. Good one. Good one. Dude, I was <laughs> workshopping my, my Agnes and Billy voice and everything, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with the ho, 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 fuck, because I love yeah. that line so much. For FYI, for everyone uh, wonder. Uh, for none of you know because you don't know our private text unless you're working for the government but i text uh cory offline and and i i wrote that to him today i was like yeah that's a nice callback yeah (laughs) and then i made something really like dark and i'm like yeah yeah that was funny though but i won't share it with anybody (laughs) online people are gonna be like what did you say what did you say no, it's for for our ears only our ears only i guess you can't hear text for our Unless you send like only? one of those voice memos or something, you know. I like those, by the way. I've been I've been starting to send those. I'm like, yeah, I don't got time. I to know text. you love those. I do. They're awesome. You love your like this will self destruct after you play it type thing. <laughs> yeah, you have to keep it, otherwise it, it disappears on you. Oh man, where to go? Oh, my God. Anyways, all right, guys and gals. Like I said, we are tackling the original Bob Clark's Black Christmas. Oh, I wanted to watch the remake. Which one, Zach? Which remake? The remake? <laughs> Both. The, the second one or the one that came out like three years right after that? Oh, my God. Can we can we cover uh, can we cover the remakes of all the movies that uh, the terrible remakes, please? You know what? No. That might be a Patreon series we do one day, which is cover terrible remakes. Yeah, you all want to pay us to uh, watch these terrible movies and talk about them? Sure. Okay. Why not, right? That's, but not what we do. But you know what's not a terrible movie? Black Christmas? There you go. The original? 1974? <laughs> Buddy, what is your, before I get into it, what is your uh, connection with this film, if any? I've seen it multiple times. I don't think I saw it as a child. As a child. <laughs> child. Um, as a child, as a little child in the manger, I uh, watched it, I think, uh, the first time I think I saw it might have been at New Beverly Cinema, a part of their Christmas spectacular they would do every year. Uh, they would show Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Black Christmas. And then I would have 
wicked Christmas parties. I, I might have brought that up on the transfers one, but uh, you know, just to recap if anyone ever if anyone is interested, I used to have dark Christmas parties where I'd have Santa Claus impaled on a Christmas tree. I'd have a chalk line of Santa Claus slamming into our sliding door <laughs> with a chalk line of Rudolph and like blood coming down and a severed head with a Santa hat. And then I'd watch all the you know, ho ho horror films that are related to Christmas that night. And Black Chris Black Christmas was always a part of that rotation. Um I love it. It's a classic. Uh you know, it's it's to me it's not it's very much a product of its time. Uh it's a product of, you know, firsts. It's the first of a lot of things. So in many ways, like Citizen Kane, you know, you can look at Citizen Kane and go, oh, that's a landmark film. But there's flaws. There's things where you go, eh, they could have tightened this up a bit or you could have done this with that. Yeah. Same can be said, I think, with Black Christmas. But Black Christmas is a landmark film in many ways. It set the bar uh, for future, for the genre. Yeah. Genre. Yeah, man. Um, I kind of have a sort of similar uh, experience with it as you do. Actually, I should say my experience with it is almost exactly the same as Halloween 3. I watched it maybe once with Luke as a kid. Didn't really appreciate it. Didn't really connect with me. Uh, Rediscovered it probably around the same time as Halloween 3, which was in my mid-30s or something. Uh, Probably when you and I were hanging out and everything like for the first time. And once I did... I fell in love with it as an adult and it immediately became one of my, you know, yearly Christmas movies. And over time, you know, flaws and all, I totally agree, but over time it has become honestly equally one of my favorite Christmas movies and one of my favorite horror films, both equal parts. Wow. Wow. Meow. <laughs> no, that's a that's a big uh, that's a bold statement coming from you. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing you back that up. Yeah. No, but it's all subjective and it's all personal. And if it's that's how this movie feels to you, that's awesome, dude. I, I mean, I don't have the same love for it, but I don't hate it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like no. I, I'm just it's it's one of those movies that uh, you can appreciate it, what it what it is, but it's not your one of your favorites. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the same way. It's like, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Well, I've got, you know, A Christmas Vacation is not my Chris, favorite Christmas movie, but I really enjoy it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's like that. It's like that. Silent Night, Deadly Night is probably my favorite, like, straight-up Christmas-themed horror film. Okay, I was actually going to ask, what is your favorite Christmas movie, period? But Silent Night, Deadly Night is is one of your favorite uh, of the horror genres. By the way, I grew up watching that as a kid as well, um, and I just rewatched it for probably for the first time in like 25, 30 years uh, a couple weeks ago. I think it holds up really well, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but what is your like, all-around all favorite Christmas movie? Oh, it's really tough. I mean... Probably a Christmas story. Probably, um, if I had to really, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I know I brought it up many times. Eight Bit Christmas is really good. <laughs> it's really entertaining, and will that movie will now become a part of my year round rotation because I liked it so much. You know, I like Scrooged a lot. I love It's a Wonderful Life, uh, but it's a you know a Christmas story is just. 
man, it's just timeless. And it's like, it's so fucking funny. Like, it's just so, and, and, and it's all so kid centric, you know, we had Zach Ward on our show. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Zach Ward is a part of our Patreon and he did a great interview for us. And he talked about one of the aspects of a Christmas story and why it works in his opinion is because the camera, uh, Bob Clark, same director as black Christmas (laughs) shot it. Uh, he shot the kids, uh, at a level at their level versus, uh, above them. So you felt like the kids could relate to this movie. That movie's timeless. It really is timeless. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like so many other Christmas movies are dated, man. Home alone is just like, I get why people like it, but the people are just also miserable. You don't like you really, if you think about it, you're like, it's this rich privileged family. This kid gets the run in the mill of this house and he destroys the house. It's like, he's real. I don't like Kevin McCall. I don't like the McAllisters. I don't like seeing loaded people like that. You know, honestly, I was never a uh, home alone fan. I've seen it a few times, but yeah, it was never really my cup of tea. Um, just to, sort of put it out there on the record, my all-time 100 across the board, 100% favorite Christmas movie is Muppets Christmas Carol. I love that so much. I sing all the songs. We're Marley and Marley. Love it so much. Actually, to the point where uh, my buddy Alex and I in college uh, became friends because we, he was sitting next to me. And uh, my our teacher, we didn't even talk at the time, but our, te- my, our teacher some reason mentioned Marley and I go under my breath, Marley and Marley. And he looks at me, goes Muppets Christmas Carol. And I'm just like, are we best friends? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are we best friends? Yes. I, and fun fact, I watched that movie for the first time, uh, this year. Okay. With Bodie. Uh, yes. With Bodie. Did did, did he loved it? it? Okay. Oh yeah. He loved it. Um, I, yeah. I, I mean, that movie's great. It's great. I love the Albert Finney Scrooge. Uh, that is probably one of the creepiest. Yeah, I've seen uh, it. The Christmas Carol depictions. I went on a yeah, tear love of, like, of like trying to watch alternative Christmas Carol movies, you know, for a bit. And, and yeah, there's some good ones out there. But to bring it back to a Christmas story, I mean, that's probably tied uh, with with Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> I was thinking Die Hard as like alternative ones. Um, but it's probably tied with Scrooged from like my second favorite slot. And it's just right behind um, uh, uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol. And I also really really fucking love um, White Christmas because I almost exclusively listen to Bing Crosby throughout the entire Christmas season. I love Bing Crosby and I love White Christmas. Actually, I saw White Christmas the play with my mom at the Kennedy Center in D.C. about five or six years ago. That was really fucking cool when I would go back home, uh, you know, to Maryland for Christmas. Do you envision Bing wailing on his kids while you're listening you're to right. that soundtrack? Right, I know, I know. He, he, I told you not to touch my cookies. Bu- 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 what, boom. Dad? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm bu- bu- gonna bu- bu- beat you bu- bu- now. Bu- bu- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speculate. A lot of, a lot of times we don't yeah. need to know, uh, uh, you know, the behind the scenes of our idols. But uh, anyways, yeah. Too bad I can't listen to Eric Clapton anymore. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Bob Clark. 
We, I mean, we can't not talk about the connection between Black Christmas and freaking A Christmas Story. Obviously, the connection is the director, uh, Bob Clark, uh, who unfortunately passed away in a car drunk driving accident where him and his son were on the PCH, I think like in midday, like on a work day, and a, oh. a drunk driver coming down the opposite direction plowed right into them and unfortunately killed both of them that was like i think like five six seven years ago something like that oh that's terrible yeah in 2007 he died okay Um, yeah that's terrible that is well so he is a you know he's known for a christmas story and a black in black christmas but you know he directed children shouldn't play with dead things it was one yep. of his first ones he ever did which is a personal favorite which we will get to death dream which is a very underrated horror film as well the same year as black christmas um i just want to run down some of his other ones he did porky's obviously uh porky's 2 rhinestone the sylvester stallone dolly parton movie which is pretty <laughs> yeah. funny Turk 182, which I really love, uh, with Timothy Hutton. I forget what episode of Amazing Stories he directed, but he directed an episode of Amazing Stories from the first season. So you know it's going to be good because that was their best one. Uh, From the Hip with Judd Nelson, uh, another personal favorite of mine. Uh, Loose Cannons with Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd, another personal favorite of mine. <laughs> dude, I remember uh, that movie, man. <laughs> that movie's funny, dude. It's yeah, a funny dude, movie. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, then he started moving into, like, Baby Geniuses, which is not that bad. Uh, you know, like, some other schlocky stuff. But, yeah, Bob Clark is a legend. He's a legend. It's uh, such a shame that he's gone um, because he was a unbelievably talented director i think one what i love about both black christmas and a christmas story is i'm sure it's obviously it's the cinematographer but we all know the director has has say in everything i love the look of both films i love like the soft focus and how uh you know like for example in black christmas and on the front door there's that wreath of like red you know with red lights and everything and i just love how explosive the red light is and everything because yeah. the focus is like so soft and just the the look of this of those old 70s bulbs and the, the 70s christmas tree and i feel like you see it both in uh christmas story and and black christmas like the christmas tree that's just covered in tinsel and is clearly yeah. like a fire hazard waiting to happen but i just i love the look of both films and i think that's why uh black christmas also holds a, a de- near and dear to my heart as a christmas movie as well because it just it feels warm and cozy even though it's this horrible tale and i think he does a great job of kind of bringing that over into a christmas story like taking out the horror but just keeping all the shit that worked christmas wise in black in black christmas and bringing it to a christmas story yeah, yeah, I think you just reminded me that um, I think Anchor Bay might have put out a clamshell of Black Christmas, and I bought that on VHS uh, back in the day. I miss those Anchor Bay clamshell VHS cases. I had a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, and I just, you know, it brings back memories of, like, <laughs> of dating girls, and, you know, of course you want to show the person you're dating like a scary movie to see their reaction yeah. because you want them to be like oh my god hold me <laughs> and uh and that's <laughs> i there was quite a few times where i'm like hey want to watch black christmas or or there were a few times when i'm like you know so excited that i was dating a girl 
and oh, Christmas is going to be great, and I can show her Black Christmas, and then we broke up <laughs> right before Christmas. And then you watch what? Well, I watch Christ- it by myself <laughs> on the couch, yeah. eating popcorn, crying, yeah, popcorn crying. S- salted by your own tears. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, this is really salty popcorn. It's because it's uh, coming out of my eye holes. <laughs> <laughs> eating like Haagen Dazs and shit. <laughs> Remember Hagen Dazs? Yeah, of course. I grew up in the eighties. Of course, I remember Hagen Dazs. Hagen Dazs used to have uh, vanilla and peanut butter. Ooh. It was vanilla and peanut butter. Ooh. Oh, so good. Oh, I love vanilla and, and peanut put, butter. And then you put vanilla syrup on top. Ooh, Ooh. So hot syrup. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyways, I would watch that. I did watch it quite a bit. I think before New Beverly with that clamshell by myself. Nice. Well, and it's actually interesting. I just did a quick look really fast. And yes, the uh, cinematographer, Reginald H. Morris, unfortunately passed away in 2004. He was the director of of cinematography on both Black Christmas and A Christmas Story. Makes sense. And uh, Porky's as well. So, And Porky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And too bad Tinsel's like totally terrible for kitty cats, too. I know because they eat it and then it comes out of their butthole. Yeah, and like rips a hole in their bee hole. So yeah, there you go. Cats, um, <laughs> cats, man. Meow, meow. Uh, Olivia Hussey, dude. Olivia Hussey, who is, I mean, I think at the time, my understanding is when she made this movie, she was already like skyrocketed uh, to fame because of her uh, portrayal of Juliet in in 1968's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, when she was a teenager. Yeah. Um, you know, so she was in her early 20s when this came out. And uh, she's beautiful and talented. She's talented and she's beautiful. She can do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. I mean, like, she, like talk about a, a great scream queen. Um, this movie, again, sets the bar for... I don't remember seeing things prior to this kind of that are now cliche, right? In, in, in that that things have been used over and over and over again. But she stands out. She's fantastic. She's one one heck of an actor. <laughs> she is. She she is. She actually hasn't been in a lot of other stuff that I've really seen. She's done some she well, she's done some voice work as like Talia Al Ghul on the Superman cartoon and whatnot. She's done a lot of okay. like Star Wars stuff. Um but yeah, movie-wise, uh, Ice Cream Man. <laughs> Oh, ice cream. Yeah, man. it's funny because you can you you think of her as this kind of classic actress because of Romeo and Juliet. Um, but she's done some genre schlocky stuff and B-movie type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but but nothing too, you know, nothing that stands out anyways. A lot of, you know, a lot of early 70s stuff and not, not not that there's anything wrong with it. Oh yeah, she was in it also. Oh yeah. The television version. The television version. And Psycho 4, which is actually not that bad. Um, <laughs> I've never seen Psycho 4 and I haven't seen it forever. I watched it. I loved uh TV movies back in the day, you know, event watching and I loved The Stand and The Langoliers was terrible, but I loved it because it gave me something to look forward to and and it was another one. I loved all of that shit, but I never watched it like off of TV. Like I I've never seen yeah. it not on TV. 
Yeah, it is not that great. I don't think. I think I Tim Curry stands makes a stand out, and then all the like the who's who's of the the great actors cast, yeah. like John Ritter and stuff like that. You know, uh, it's fun. Yep. You know, for that. But yeah, I'm not I'm not chomping at the bit or anything to to go back and watch it. No. But there's a movie she did see, she did make in the '80s that you should check out. It's called Turkey Shoot with your boy Steve Railsback. Yeah, uh, it is. It is an Australian uh, film and kind of dystopian future type movie. A dystop like uh, Seven Winters Alone by our good buddy David <laughs> Irons out now. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian nightmare. Uh, good plug, buddy. Uh, much like Turkey Shoot. Turkey yeah. Shoot is yeah, not. So- t- tr- but yeah, yeah. So tur- no, Turkey Shoot um is actually one that has popped up on my radar, uh, and I'm trying to figure out if it's if it's because of maybe the director, uh, because but a hashtag that I followed or something, Turkey Shoot kept popping up, and I'm like, why? So I, I don't really know why 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 this movie. But yeah, anyways, when, it's, it's fun been fact, on my radar. Bodhi- Fun fact: Corey goes turkey shoot. Shoot <laughs> with turkey shoot. <laughs> By the way, side note: can't wait for the new McGruber movie. Anyways, uh, ditto, but it's only on like NBC something. No, so it's I on it's Peacock, it. which is that's where I watched um, Halloween Kills. It's a uh, if you have a subscription to something like Xfinity or whatever, you get Peacock for free. Oh. So, um, well, I canceled it after Halloween Kills. So there you there go. You, go. Uh, you want to go, David Irons? You want to talk about uh, Peter? Yeah, so uh, Kier, Kier Dulé plays Peter, and uh, you know he, he was in a movie called Two Thousand One, I guess. Yeah, just a, not a big, not a big deal. Nah, no, no, no big deal whatsoever. So this fucking blew my mind because I'm I didn't IMDb this, even though yeah, I know I've already seen the movie, but I just didn't look him up. But like the whole time I'm every time I watch this movie, there's like this familiarity to him that I'm like, why does he seem familiar? And then I, you know, I IMD beat him yesterday when I was breaking down the movie and I saw that he was Dave in 2001 Space Odyssey and like like a piece of the puzzle to my life got put in place with that cuz I was like, "Oh my god, the whole time it's him." Yeah, I mean, that was a groundbreaking movie uh for him as well. Uh I don't think he I don't know the story, the backstory of whether he didn't achieve success like he had expected or maybe that was all intentional, his choices he made after 2010, uh, 2001, uh, but he didn't have a huge career. He's actually recently in that, uh, what is it, Amazon miniseries called The Hunters. Oh, okay. Okay. With, yeah, we're uh, hunting. Al Pacino. Oh, um, and our buddy uh, Caleb Emery was on that show um, like yes. first season or something. We, we interviewed him from uh, from – from summer of 84 he played woody and he was on that show as well they're, i think they're like they're hunting like nazis or something like that post-world War yeah II. it's a great great series i love that series actually um the ending was a little off but uh but he plays a notable character in the show cool um but yeah in this he plays peter and uh i don't want to give away too much about peter yet unless if you haven't seen this movie. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's some people that actually haven't seen Black Christmas, the original version. Um, Margot Kidder plays Barb. Margot Margo, just Margot Smoke Show Kidder. Oh, yeah. man, I love her so much. And she's she's great in this as Barb. I mean, she's she's uh, she's kind of iconic. You know, she's well, not kind of. She is. She's Lois Lane. She's you know, Lois when people Lane. think of Lois Lane. <laughs> she's Lois Lane. Uh, but she was in Sisters before this. Brian De Palma's Sisters, which if you guys haven't seen that, it's really good. Uh, shocking. 
shocking movie. Uh, and she was in Amityville Horror soon after this one as well. Actually, she was after Superman that came out in 79. Um, the original the original Amityville Horror, not the, oh, she's in the one with Ryan Reynolds? No, no, no. no. No, she's she's in the original, the the good oh one. Oh my god, Ryan Reynolds, he's so hot with his shirt off. Oh my god, that movie's so good. No, this is with Oh, uh James Brolin. Oh, Josh Brolin, Thanos? No, James Brolin. Pop Papa Brolin, who Yes, from the car. Yeah, who who we had boners for in the car. He's he's all yeah. I love me some Papa Brolin. He's hunky. He's hunky, He's hunky in Amityville. That's right. I love Amityville, by the way. One and two. I would actually like us to to do both of them at some point. Oh God, yeah, the, the great, totally freaky movie. But uh, yeah, she was in. She's. I mean, she's a legend. Uh, speaking of legends, yes. John Saxon plays Lieutenant Ken Fuller. John Saxon. John Big Cock Saxon. <laughs> yes, he's got that BDE. He does. Dude. Uh, I mean, the guy. The guy. The guy's a legend. Uh, as well, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, I know he's great in that, but he's he's in Enter the Dragon. Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon as Roper. That's my favorite role of John Saxon. Uh, I think he was in what was it, Battle Beyond the Stars? Yeah, was, was yeah, it? yeah. I'd I'd say honestly, this is this is probably one of my favorite Saxon performances. I think that there is a a warmth and a little bit of humor to it uh, that's, that in some of the other movies, you know, he, it doesn't really call for, I guess, um, that I do enjoy in this film. I, I felt like his performance is very earnest here. Yeah, he's fantastic. I think he's I think I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Marion Waldman uh, plays Mrs. Mrs. Mac, Mac, Mac. Uh, no, she uh, she's she every time I saw her on screen, I'm like. If this was a American produced movie, if this because Black Christmas was made in Canada, yeah, it's Canadian. mostly Canadian, uh, it, it would have been Shelley Winters probably be, <laughs> probably playing this role. Yeah, yeah. She's but you know she's uh she's been in a ton of stuff. Um, and and she's a hoot old, in this old movie. School. Yeah, she's she's great. She's great. She was in a movie called Deranged. If you've never seen Deranged, it is the closest depiction of who Ed Gein is. And if you don't know who Ed Gein is, he was the inspiration for Leatherface yeah. and a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Deranged has, in my opinion, one of the most terrifying scenes ever in a movie when the killer uh I mean he doesn't he doesn't call himself Ed Gein. His name is Ezra Cobb. Uh, he, but he basically plays Ed Gein in Deranged. There's a scene in the movie when uh, he's kidnapped a girl, and she's like starting to get out of his lair, and she's in a room. I, I think this is the scene, and she's looking around and she sees like a what looks like a a mannequin or a dead person sitting in a chair. It's not moving. Mm. And then suddenly it like it stands up and it comes towards her and you're like, oh, shit. It's so terrifying, dude. And it's him <laughs> with a skin mask on his face. And it's so freaky. Oh, vey. Anyways. Is this it? Yeah. Uh, Corey's showing me the picture. That is so terrifying. Yeah. I, I, and that came out in 1974, same year as, as Black Christmas. So she was uh, yeah, yes. a deranged colon confessions of a necrophile, 1974. Three oh. hours long? Holy No, crap. it's not that long. That's what it says That's on weird. IMDb. Somebody gotta fix that IMDb uh, entry. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I'm, I'm intrigued by that one. 
Um, you should watch it, dude. It, it it's not it's not perfect, uh, but it's really fucking creepy. Nice. Okay. All right. Um. So <laughs> and then Andrea Martin. Yeah, I was gonna Andrea say Andrea Martin. Martin, man. It's it's funny because I almost didn't piece it together that until I see her IMDb, I'm like, oh, I know who she is. But when you watch her, you know, in this. She's so young. You're like, okay, but he, but now you're like, oh, I, I recognize her from Big Fat Greek Wedding and just you know all kinds of stuff. And then Club in, Paradise, dude. Club Paradise. Yeah. He's great in that. And she did play um, Mrs. The Mrs. Mac character in the 2006 Black remake, uh, Black Christmas remake, uh, which is the first one of the two uh, remakes. And I've heard that the 2006 one is decent. I've not had a chance to to check it out yet, but Andrea Martin I does won't. play Mrs. Mack in that one, and uh, I do recognize her. She's like a more of a comedic actress. Oh, he's SCTV. Yeah, I mean, she she she's like a part of that troupe. Uh, you know, Rick Moranis, uh, uh, John Candy, uh, Eugene Levy, John Candy, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that that whole group growing up, you know, watching that the Canadian version of Saturday Night Live, Martin Short. Um, she's been in a ton of things. Uh, she's really funny. If you've never seen Club Paradise, she's really funny in that. Uh, oh yeah, she was in Hedwig and the Angry Inch, yeah, which is a great musical. Actually, it's probably one of my favorite musicals. Um, she was in Inner Space, also a very small role in Inner Space. Uh, and she's f- so funny in that. Who was she um, in Inner Space? Because last time I saw it was with at your house, probably about what five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, when she's uh, when she when Martin Short is waiting at the <laughs> to see his doctor, and he, because he's heard uh, Dennis Quaid's character Tuck Pendleton, uh, and, and in his head. And so he's at the doctor, like trying to figure out why he's hearing voices in his head, and he and. Uh, it's yeah, it's her and another guy. Um, oh God, who's the guy on, on SCTV? Uh, hold on, the guy who plays the vampire. Oh, Joe Flaherty. Yeah, Joe yeah, Flaherty. Joe Flaherty <laughs> and her are in the waiting room with him, and he's like going back and forth, and that's when Martin Short stands up and goes, "I'm possessed." <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I love that scene so much. Anyways, yeah, small role, but. Uh, nevertheless, she's funny in it. Oh man, I I love Interspace, buddy. <laughs> I love it. There there's a, there's another like smaller role in this, uh, which we'll kind of get to. I, I get well, okay. So Art Hindle plays uh, Chris Hayden. Art Hindle, <laughs> the the greatest unibrow in the biz. Yes, yeah, he was in the Octagon and the Chuck Norris uh, martial arts movie. And it was I remember when he was in it, I, it kind of surprised me because I'm like. I wasn't used to seeing what I consider like a list looking dudes right. in Chuck Norris movie. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. I like the octagon. Yeah. So, especially when, when you're, when you're not Chuck Norris in, in the movie, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Oh, sorry. I was going to point out the, the la- last one on my end, this, the, one of the police officers named Nash. Yeah. Good old uh, Nash. <laughs> Nash played by Doug McGrath. I'm like, why does that guy look so familiar to me? Well, I remember him in the movie pale rider, uh, he's the guy who finds the big gold nugget, and he thinks he's rich, and they blast him to bits. All the bad guys just obliterate him. I think they give him a brain shot, and in, in and that's not when I 
when brain shots weren't popular in the 80s. So. I, I like Pale Rider. Um, I think I, I leaned a little bit more towards High Plains Drifter uh, of the two, but I did like Pale Rider. Yeah, me too. Me too. But uh, yeah, Pale Rider's great. More towards the tail end of Clint Eastwood's uh, yeah. Western career. Better yeah. than Unforgiven, in my opinion. Better than Unforgiven. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention Lynn Griffin uh, real quick, who plays Claire, uh, the, 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 the first victim, essentially. Um, by the way, dude, she was on the War of the Worlds TV series that we discussed on TV Obscura. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> she was also in Curtains. Uh, that's, I, I know David loves that movie. Um, oh, but curtains. Yeah. <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I've, I was always curious about, but I didn't really know until I watched the, uh, the Blu-ray, the behind the scenes stuff. We have the Zach and I both have the shout factory Blu-ray that came out like, I think like a year ago, two years ago, something like that. But the most recent shout factory Blu-ray of black Christmas. And they have a couple interviews with her. Um, and one of the things I always thought when I was younger, i.e. my thirties, I guess, uh, was that maybe a couple times they used a fake head or a mannequin or something for all the shots with her sitting there with the bag on her head. Uh, no, apparently, uh, during the auditioning process, part of that was to find out how long she could hold her breath for. And it turns out she was a swimmer, so she could actually hold her breath for a long time. And all of those shots were her just keeping her eyes open, looking in one place, you know, and not breathing. Wow. And it's so effective, absolutely effective, but because it's a real person and it's not a mannequin, you know, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. She, uh, she's great. She, she's she, great. she jokes on the, on the interview. She's like, apparently I have, a, I have a talent of being able to like hold my breath for a long time and not blink and just like look straight ahead and not blink. But this is the only movie that's ever utilized that talent before. <laughs> she had a good, uh, good, uh, you know, personality about it or a good humor about the whole thing. And apparently her and Art are big friends because they go and do all the horror conventions now. I guess they dated at one point. For oh, real. Okay. Um, so, I do, um, do want to say, though, yeah. uh, because of this movie, I want to bring back the male fur coat. <laughs> thanks thanks to Chris. Well, I was talking to a uh, fun fact for everybody wondering. I watched this movie with uh, TV Obscura co-host Diallo. Jackson and he and I were speculating on whether or not the New York Jets had won the Super Bowl around that time because Joe Namath was a big you know deal and he wore a fur coat fur coats are very popular and Art Hindle kind of had a little bit of a Joe Namath look to him yeah with the big hair you know, you know so and and you know what he doesn't look terrible with the fur coat <laughs> I would rock a faux fur coat yes. any day. I think yeah. faux fur coats look badass. Yeah, let, let me let me put an asterisk and say I don't you know believe in, in killing animals for the fur. Uh, I, I would wear a, a fake one as well, but it looked fucking baller when he's in this movie in his fucking fur coat just doing shit. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. And if anyone's wondering what Diallo's take on this movie is, uh, you'll have to sign up for our Patreon uh, for a wrap up after dark at the end of this month, at the end of December when we're recording this month, and uh, he will be offering up his take on Black Christmas. In case you're curious, because yeah. he's got a, he's got a good opinion about yeah. things, you know. 
he's got good he's got good thoughts he thinks love, good things i love diallo's uh, opinion and if you um if you want to hear a, a free example of what a wrap-up after dark episode sounds like uh the our halloween kills episode that we re- released with david irons was a, was technically a wrap-up after dark episode that month but we put it out for free because we were also uh trying to boost the signal of the book and all that kind of stuff but it's an example of what one of those shows sounds like. Uh, it's more of a freeform discussion that Zach and I have every month, uh, and we tr- we'd like to have people on there, you know, and, and round out the the discussion. So this month we're gonna have Diallo on there from uh, uh, TV Obscura, who you guys all know and love. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say really quick too. While I was watching this movie, kind of the subgenre of. Um, well i guess spoiler 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 if you've never seen this movie don't listen to this part yeah. just just fyi um sub genre of strangers in your house kind of thing or or creepers in your house or or, so the, or thinking, the the call is coming from inside the house genre yeah yeah because uh the, you know the movie that came out after this was when a stranger calls yeah. came out after this uh, there was a movie called Silent Scream. For some reason, I it's been a minute since I've seen it. Uh, it was it was one of my a good friend of mine uh, who's no longer with us. He it was his favorite movie, his favorite horror film uh, back in the day. And um, yeah, Silent Scream came out in 19, 1979. Okay, um, definitely worth definitely worth checking out. Uh, I was thinking of Crawl Space with uh, Klaus Kinski. Uh, I was thinking of, what is it? The uh, There's a Gary Busey movie where he's like in the attic the whole time with oh, Mimi Rogers. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking I can see the, the poster, the cover. Yeah, I know what you're Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, shit like that. I, then I started thinking, I'm like, well, Scream. This is, you know, this uh, this. Scream totally was influenced by Black Christmas. And and of course, all the sorority, slumber party murders and stuff like that, massacres, all that kind of stuff. And guys and gals, you know, there are so many YouTube videos that you can go watch that explain why Black Christmas, you know, is kind of considered the the great grandfather of the slasher genre and everything. You know, it's it's not really what we do here. We're gonna just walk through the movie instead. So I do implore you to go and maybe research that because it, this movie, it, it's 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 effects and it's you know it's like a tentacles out into the world. There's just so many things that that it helped contribute to as far as horror genres go and everything. So it's a very, very monumental film in that regard. But Zach and I aren't really going to dive deep into that aspect of things. No, that's not what we do. But um, you're right. It, it is a the landmark film uh, for its innovativeness and ideas um, and John Carpenter owes Bob Clark uh, residuals. Yeah, that's the one thing that we can quickly uh, talk about is that uh, Bob Clark is kind of was open about if he was ever going to do a sequel to this movie. Uh, he didn't want to, but someone basically asked him if he was going to. What would he do? He said, "Well, I would make it take place the, the following fall, and I would basically have uh, uh, the the killer been committed without sort of anybody knowing, and then the killer escapes without anybody." knowing 
knowing and he starts killing girls again and i was going to name it halloween and oh, bada bing bada boom <laughs> we get halloween a few years later and another interesting uh little connection is that lynn griffin purchased the house that john carpenter and adrian barbeau uh owned and she bought it, so so she actually that's bought cool. their house. Yeah, that's wild. I think probably in the earlier mid '80s or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They oh, I forgot that they were to they were married at one point or something. Yeah, that's wild. Well, because didn't he leave Deborah Hill for her? Or what? it doesn't matter, guys and gals. That's all out there. You can look into that too. But that's wild stuff. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, that's weird, wild stuff. All right, you want to get into Billy Bell. Let's do it. Let's do it. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped his phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Terminal Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. The movie opens with <laughs> film funding in association with Vision 4 presents on a black background. Uh, and then it fades into a shot of the sorority house at night with the title Black Christmas over the image. Uh, while we're here, I do want to quickly mention two things. One, 
uh, as much of a, of a character as the other characters are, the house is a character as well. You can still oh, sure. find the house in Toronto. It still stands. Um, but one thing that I love about this movie is that it was all filmed on location in the house. So that's not a set. And I feel like you can feel that. You know what I mean? Um, and I, oh, I, big it's, time. It's weird. I hate indoors that are sets. But I love exteriors that are sets, like a la Hammer films and stuff like that. But I like in- interiors to actually be locations because I feel like you can just tell. All right, I'll take it. Here's here's a, what it boils down to: when you can tell that the house that they're filming in is a set, it feels like a sitcom to me. Yeah, agreed. Another thing I want to mention real quick: the ugly, you know, filming in association with like title card at the beginning. George Lucas didn't want any of this crap that is absolutely sort of mandatory uh, in American films at the beginning of Star Wars. And that's why Star Wars and any of the other films are not in the director's guild. And he's not in the director's guild because he refused to put the title cards and titles over the beginning of the film. And he wanted it to start the way it did. So that's all. Interesting. Yeah. So. Silent Night is playing uh, as the cast names sort of fade in over the image of the house. We see a woman walk up to the front door and go inside. This is why I noted I love the the 70s Christmas lights, how big they are, you know? Yeah, so good. So good. We hear other people inside the house, and Jingle Bells is playing on the radio. Cut to a POV shot of someone breathing heavy and walking up to the front door. They look at the people inside. Inside the house, Barb, played by Margot Kidder, comes down the stairs to join the party. She asks, who left the front door open and closes it? So the front door has two doors, basically, and this the inside door kind of sticks and sort of pops open occasionally. It's used later, but, you know, it's not something you really need to worry about. It's not used as, as, as effectively as I thought it would, though. Or yeah. as effectively as I think it would have been used in a later film, like, from the 80s or something. You know what I mean? Like, they would have really honed in on it. Yeah. Back outside, we see through the soon-to-be killer's eyes. Anytime there's a POV shot, it's going to be the killer. You can refer to him as the killer. You can refer to him as Billy. Uh, A lot of times people refer to him as Billy. Um, So you see through his eyes. Billy. 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 Tell me what happened in Mole. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I know. know. After session nine, it's hard to hear Billy without, you know. She got what was coming to us, sir. Yeah. So the killer's looking uh, around the house and eventually finds a terrace and climbs into the attic. So, guys and gals, this house is essentially it's a mansion. It's it's pretty damn big. Um, but this shot of the killer climbing this terrace is the cameraman. Um, it, the camera he built a specific camera uh, harness to put on him to do stuff like this and to maneuver within the house because cameras are so big and everything. And he needed more maneuverability to get shots. But when I found out that this was actually the camera guy climbing the terrace with that fucking, you know, with giant-ass Pana, Panavision camera on his shoulder, that's impressive. It is impressive. Like, again, ground groundbreaking. Um, tip of the hat. Who knew that that POV shots would be used later on for stuff you shouldn't show little kids? <laughs> Everything we cover on this podcast. Pretty much. <laughs> movies that star Manuel Ferreira. 
<laughs> Inside the party, Barb is talking to Phil, Adrian Martin, and her boyfriend, who has the best afro in the biz. Oh, uh, he's like, uh, he puts Gabe Kaplan's afro on Welcome Back, Cotter to shame. Oh, dude, he's total Welcome Back, Cotter afro, bro. Yeah. Phil and her boyfriend with the sweet afro uh, are getting some uh, someplace set up. I didn't quite know what it was, but later on you find out it's called the common room, but it's not a common room in this building. It's in a different building on campus, but they're setting it up for like this, um, like an underprivileged kid sort of Christmas thing. Uh, yeah. the, her boyfriend's going to play Santa Claus. And I do. I love his attitude. He's like, he's like, what time are those little bastards going to arrive? And he's the one, by the way, when I said at the beginning of the movie, if you haven't seen it, that I say, ho, 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 fuck. That's his line later when I'll get to it. But that's from him, essentially. The most inappropriate Santa ever. Yeah, he makes bad Santa look kind. (laughs) Right? This was probably the inception for bad Santa. I would not be surprised. Yeah. Because the 70s were like, it was still saccharine and sweet. And like, how dare you besmirch Santa Claus? Oh, Santa. Oh, Santa. Somebody somebody did a meme the other day. I thought that was really funny, a Christmas one, where it was like, you saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus, the guy that ran over Grandma's and the, with his reindeer? <laughs> That's, that actually is pretty funny. That's uh, good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Just then the phone rings. Uh, Jess, played by Olivia Hussey, answers it. It's for Barb. It's, it's, it's long distance. <laughs> Barb says she'll take it in the other room. Uh, cut to a POV of the killer entering the attic through the window. We see heavy, a heavy breathing. Oh yeah, always heavy breathing. We see a rocking chair right by the window and a bunch of like boxes and clutter and stuff like that. Uh, the killer walks around his new digs, and yeah, as Zach says, anytime we see from the killer's point of view, there's always some kind of like heavy breathing or something. He he is truly like a maniac in this, right? Like he's yes. just totally off his rocker. Yeah, if we're to believe it is who it is, the person is under an extreme amount of pressure and snaps and just becomes all his demons unfold. Oh. Do you think that is who it is? I think that was the intention, and I think it was a little – I think the ending's a little botched. Okay. okay. I think. I think, right. um, I think a little bit. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. Downstairs, Barb is on the phone with her mom. She's yelling into the phone that she can't hear her. She asks uh, the operator for help. What a different world, right? <laughs> we hear someone. Oh, my God. That, this brings back memories, like, when they're dealing with the phone lines and everything. And, like, man, that, there used to be a time when we did that shit. Like, I know. We, there was, like, a guy, uh, a person who was in charge of knowing wh- what phone line went to where. And, oh, my God, it's amazing. It's it's a whole different world. I mean, this movie's worth watching now just as a time capsule of the early 70s. Yes. The internet was a series of tubes. <laughs> tubes, man. <laughs> uh, we hear someone say that the party's over and it's time for the men to leave. As the camera men. pans through the house and up to the attic ceiling door, we see it open. We see from the killer's POV while he climbs down the ladder. On the phone, Barb can hear her mom. Uh, She says they're having a little party and that she's had a couple, referring to the drinks. But she's not drunk, she says. Sure. It's Margot Kidder. Fun fact, apparently Margot Kidder was drinking real alcohol on set. You know, I was... For the instruction of the director. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I was... It looked like... 
actual like whiskey or something that she was drinking. Yeah, I didn't know if that was like apple juice or whatever, but yeah. Oh, poor Margot Kidder. Yeah, she had an addiction problem, unfortunately. I, I this yeah. probably didn't help it if she was drinking while uh, doing her lines here. Nope, sure not. At sure this not what the fuck? Sure not. Yeah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> sure not. Show enough. <laughs> Show enough. Show enough. At this point, the killer has made his way to the top of the stairs and is looking at Barb while she's on the phone. It doesn't sound like her mom sort of wants her home for the holidays. And then Barb's reply is, uh, she's a real gold-plated whore, is what Barb says. So you can tell Barb's a rich girl, and, you know, she's, she's dealing with probably, you know, neglect issues and everything, which is why she, why she drinks. Yeah, her mom's shacking up with some rando. Yeah, on Christmas, you know. Yep, uh, yep. Cut to Claire walking her boyfriend Chris, yeah, and his sweet fur coat and unibrow to the front door. Uh, Chris says he'll see her next week. She says, call before you come. I'm going to have to get my parents used to that. Um, Don't really know. I like dialogue like that where you don't quite know what they're referring to, but you can kind of infer because it's her boyfriend. You're used to it. But I do like dialogue where you're clearly coming in on a conversation midway or something. I thought you said, see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Oh, no. You didn't? Get your mind out of the gutter. Billy. Is that? (laughs) Did you hear that? That was so weird. I don't know. Must be the session nine uh, thing happening all over again. I I mean, I don't even know what was going on. We we must have had, like, interference with the internet. (laughs) With the tubes? With the series of tubes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's weird. Okay, sorry. On the phone, Barb says she'll, uh, she'll just go skiing with her friends. Uh, see you around. She hangs up the phone and looks upset. She walks back into the party, which is all girls now, and asks if anyone wants to go skiing. Uh, Jess and Phil kind of look at each other. They know Barb is upset and sort of about to blow up. Jess says, sure, Barb. Uh, Phil says, sounds like fun. Uh, Barb asks Claire, but she says, no, thanks. She has plans. Barb literally scoffs. Uh, (laughs) The phone rings and Jess goes to answer it. Jess picks up the phone and does her patented yelling hello three times into the phone. She always does it three times. Hello? 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 And she's got this British, like, sort of accent. And they don't address it in this movie, uh, which is, I don't mind. I just assume, you know, she's an exchange student or something like that. They don't really address it. But she definitely has, like, a British accent. Jess in her British accent, that 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 authentic British accent. How dare she? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, so she yells hello three times in her British accent, and it's him again. The the moaner is what she says, and everyone goes by the phone to listen. Now, my biggest thing with this movie is the 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 one of the biggest conceits of this film is that the women are being terrorized by a caller, right? And it's happened prior to this, um, which is what throws off the later. So I just want to talk about it now. So later, the conceit yeah. is, is that the killer, Billy, which I don't think is Peter, but the killer, Billy, is the one that is making the phone calls and acting this way. But here, he's not in the house yet. So was he making the phone calls prior to coming to the house and he knew where he was going or do you see what I'm saying? Or was, is that like a, a writing sort of hole in the plot sort of thing? Yeah, I think it's a little hole in the plot. If, if you do think it's Peter and he has been under a considerable amount of stress, 
since he's joined the cons- uh, conservatory, conservatory for eight he, years. He, yeah, he's locked in this room, as he put it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he's been with Clint, uh, what, uh, Jess for a while. You know. Uh, that would make sense <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. it yeah, I, I know what they're setting up and everything. It's just, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't completely click for me. But um, and what I was also gonna say, just the conceit that like they're being terrorized via the phone, and this scene is yeah. a prime example of that. My whole thing is just hang up, J- just hang up, you know. But they sit there and they listen and they become yeah. scared. But when you could just hang up is what you can do, you know? And yeah, but I get it. You wouldn't have much of a movie if you, if you just hung up. Um, so everyone sort of crowds around, uh, Claire asks, uh, could uh, so basically we hear a bunch of different garbled voices and everything. Uh, they did use the, the main guy. There's one guy who did Billy's voice and the male voices. They did use a female voice, kind of try to harmonize and put them together to, just to create this, otherworldly thing that's sort of happening and i do think it makes it very interesting um you know who uh you know who did the the voice right no who nick mancuso okay nick mancuso is an actor uh he was in under siege oh he was in rapid fire oh shit. he's been in a shit ton of movies okay like, he was the he was one of the main villains in rapid fire but he's been in a bunch of bunch of stuff okay I yeah it's yeah I, I knew it was like somebody but the name didn't jump out at me um but he I mean he does a great job of doing all these crazy fucked up voices and everything and uh you know and and yeah like I said they add a, a female voice into it just to kind of give it this weirdness factor yeah which and, is great yeah when Claire asks, could that be one person? Barb retorts, no, Claire. That's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call, which is, you know, Barb is just, Barb's kind of a bitch. Let's just, let's just go there. Well, she's, she's a drunk. Yeah. yeah. And she's angry. And yes. Yeah. She's kind of a bitch. Kind of a bitch. Um, we like hear screaming. And they say, I don't like it. And it's just, it's, it's all kinds of crazy shit. I'll actually try to find a clip and insert it here so we don't have to do it. But in case I don't find one, Zach, can you give us a little rendition of what they're hearing? Let me look it over. Look it out. Let me see it. Let me see it. Look yeah. it. Hello? 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 Hey, quiet! It's him again! The Mona! Claire, that's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call. Ah! <laughs> 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 
and he's like snorting like a pig and i mean it's it's fucking wild and, and so famously yeah. on set when all the actors were there the, the the stuff that they were doing there like dialogue wise but that was coming out of the phone was much tamer than what was in the end of the film like which was what they added to the yeah. film and so a lot of the actresses when they went to the see the movie with their moms and everything it was pretty shocking to hear the, what was actually being said on the, the phone I love when people are like this is the same guy that directed a Christmas story I'm like yeah yeah He's a director, not a child film director, a director. Yeah, he can do all kinds of different things. People, people yeah, can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Barb eventually takes the phone out of Jess's hands and says, listen, you pervert, why don't you go over to Lamba Kai? They could use a little of this. Then she says, why don't you find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? That'll give you a charge. Uh, he says, I'll stick my tongue in you. Ah. She says, you fucking creep. And then this is crazy because then he calmly says, I'm going to kill you and hangs up the yeah. phone. That freaks me out. Cause there's also like, you can see the wave go over her face. Like she's startled by it too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I love that moment. It's, it's like, Oh nope, this is not silly. Nope. Shit's shit's real. Barb slams the phone down and Phil says, super tongue strikes again. Claire says to Barb, I don't think you should provoke someone like that. Par Barb says, this guy's minor league in the city. I get two of these a day. Claire says, but that town girl got raped a couple weeks ago, to which Barb replies, darling, you can't rape a townie. Oh, sick burn. Claire says, Barb is just too much and goes upstairs to pack her stuff. Barb gives her, so there's in the movie there's two of these, but Barb gives her this old school way of flicking somebody off where you put your, your thumb you flick your thumb out from your your two front teeth. You know what I'm talking about, right, Zach? Yeah. She's like, oh. it's so weird. And then later with the the cab driver and and Mrs. Mac when she dies, and he does like that, like that weird. I don't even know. It's like you rub your hand across your face or something with your thumb. It's like old school middle finger maneuvers. But we as a society, we basically in 2021, we've gotten rid of all of those, and we all just agreed that the middle finger will just work for everything. Yeah, we streamlined it. We did. But, like, you've seen that before that Barb does with the flick of the, the, the thumb across your front teeth, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I've never done it. I've never had it done to me, fortunately. So. <laughs> we should bring it back, bro. <laughs> yeah, we'll just start doing it to each other. There you go. Love you. <laughs> One of these days our tooth are going to get knocked out. Then we get sick because we didn't wash our hands before yeah, we put them in our mouth. Exactly. Uh, Jess kind of runs after Claire to tell her Barb didn't mean anything by it, but Claire says it's fine. She has to finish packing anyway. Jess looks at Barb angrily and says, hasn't she had enough trouble fitting in here without you getting at her all the time? Barb says, come on, I know a professional virgin when I see one. Just then, there's a knock at the front door and a woman yelling, Hey, can I get a hand here? And it's Mrs. Mac, the house mother. Mrs. Mac, 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 all dressed in black, black. No, sorry. M Mrs. Mac and the heart attack. Took the kind of lady. Make a man lose his mind. Oh, Jack Mac and the heart attack. Go listen to our Tough Turf uh, review episode, like which was like our fourth you know, episode we ever did. But, but he's been our life ever since then, basically. 
And then we praised the hell out of him in Vamp because that song's great. <laughs> Fuck yeah, we did. So that song's uh, so good. Good old Jack Mack, L- L.A. Uh, L.A. band singer Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. Yeah. <laughs> that song, the the song from the Vamp soundtrack, is part of my workout mix now. That's fucking awesome, bro. Yeah. Awesome. Comes on, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, Jack Mack, yeah, <laughs> get it done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do say that when I work out, by the way. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Phil gets the door and helps Mrs. Mac uh, with the present she's carrying. Mrs. Mac has a cigarette in her mouth and, and an ugly hat. Uh, she's very a very classy woman, let me just say. I'm telling you, man, Shelly Winters. It's like it's like the sh- classic Shelly Winters look. Would have been perfect, yeah. No, I, I can yeah. see it, bro. I can totally see it. Uh, the girls quickly rush her into the other room. They say they have a surprise for her. Upstairs, Claire walks into her room and sees a cat on the bed. She says, where have you been? Mrs. Mack has been looking all over for you. She then walks to her closet and grabs clothes that are hanging and takes them back to her bed. There's a plastic dry cleaning bag hanging in her closet too, and Claire doesn't notice the killer behind it. Cut to a POV shot from behind the bag watching Claire pack her bags. Claire hears what she thinks is the cat meowing. It sounds like it's coming from the closet. She slowly walks towards it saying, Claude, is that you? As she gets closer to the closet, she says, who is that? Which I think is a little freaky too. Right as Claire- It's creepy. It is. Because she senses, she can tell it's like, it's not a cat, you know? And she gets right right as Claire looks into the closet, like she's in the damn closet, like literally inches away from the killer, which is really freaky too. He all of a sudden just reaches out and wraps her head in the plastic bag as she gasps for breath. And it's just, it's really quick and, and explosive. Downstairs, Mrs. Mack isn't too thrilled with the ugly nightgown the girls got her for Christmas. <laughs> and it's kind of, a, by the way, I, I gotta say, this movie has some genuine... You know what? I'll say this. This movie is genuinely funny. This movie is genuinely scary. And this movie is genuinely Christmassy. But one of the funny parts is Mrs. Mack. It, Bob Clark just does a great job with the humor. It never feels like tonally it doesn't belong here. It all feels like it fits. But so so basically Mrs. Mack is staring at the camera. Um, all the girls are behind her. And she has this like look of like, oh my God, this is horrible. And then you can see the smile, the fake smile come on her face as she turns around. And it's humor like that that I'm like, this movie's fucking pretty fucking funny with that kind of shit. Yeah, he's good. I mean, we will get to children shouldn't play with dead things yeah. eventually. And, uh, and that one's near and dear to your heart. Yeah, he plays with those same, you know, kind of, uh, what do you call them? Tonal um, shifts or, or, or like sort of walking the line devices. on tone. Devices. Okay, yeah, okay. Humor yeah. devices. You know, similar similar style. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. They insist she puts it on, which she uh, begrudgingly does. Upstairs, we see the shadow of the killer carrying Claire's body out of the room and into the attic. We can hear Mrs. Mack tell the girls that the party's over and it's time to clean up. After the girls have all cleaned up and Miss, Mrs. Mack goes into the library and takes out an encyclopedia, the, like the letter B, B for booze, by the way, and inside <laughs> the book is a cutout that fits a bottle of sherry. And I love that kind of shit, man. She So 
She's an alcoholic. She's an old school alcoholic who hides alcohol all around her house, which is infinitely amusing to me. But uh, she had she cut out in B for fucking booze, the B encyclopedia, a place to put her sherry. She takes a swig from it and then quickly puts it back as Jess sort of walks into the room. Mrs. Max says, Jess, you girls are just too good to me. Then the phone rings. Jess looks at it. Then Phil walks in and answers the phone. It's Peter, and he asks to talk to Jess. Peter asks about the party, and Jess says uh, she wishes he could have come. He said he's been practicing for four days straight and was wiped out. Jess says she needs to talk to him. He says, what's the matter? She says, nothing. I just want to talk to you face to face. Peter says he hasn't been to bed in three nights, and he's not in the mood for games. She says they'll just talk about it tomorrow. He says, okay. She says she'll be by around two. He apologizes for being short with her. Peter then says he loves her, to which she replies, I know, like Han Solo. <laughs> I, so, you, again, that this this is the beginning of me saying she's not, inter- she's not interested in this dude. Oh, yeah, no. From this, from when the movie starts, I guarantee you Jess is planning on breaking up with, with Peter. I think you and I were on the same page, and I guarantee I probably cut it earlier, but the whole Claire, yeah, we just kind of had mis, misfiring miscommunication with Claire and Jess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, but in that moment, that's when, to me, I I was like, oh, Peter's ultimately the killer because he's driving himself slowly mad. And he's pining over a girl who's not interested in him in the least bit. And he's also a high-strung artist, so... Yeah, and all, all those things are a perfect Molotov cocktail of violence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the Kool-Aid man bursting through the door. <laughs> On fire. On fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm liquid. How can I be on fire? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's our Arnold. We, turn, we turned it into Arnold. <laughs> Upsta- the turkey shoot. The turkey shoot. <laughs> Upstairs, Mrs. Mack is brushing her teeth in the bathroom. Instead of spitting out the toothpaste with water, she fishes a bottle of sherry out of the back of the toilet and uses that to rinse with, then to drink. She's, How'd you know it was sherry, by the way? Uh, well, it was the same bottle as the one in the book, and there's a close-up shot in the book. It's it says straight oh, sherry okay. on it. it so it's the same bottle. Yeah, gotcha. and, it, and it's the same type of bottle. So I just assume moving forward that that was her brand, and that she probably just drank sherry. Ever. I don't even know sure. what sherry tastes like, to be honest with you. I I assume it's like a whiskey esque, maybe because it's a dark liquid. It looks like. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've ever drank it. Yeah. Did you ever do that whole stupid shit in high school with the the you know bottle of scope and you put alcohol in it? No, dude. I I was such a square man. I I didn't drink. I didn't fucking drink and literally until I was twenty one. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Me too. I, Me I too. I remember seeing people. I'm like, you're you're stupid. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, and I didn't smoke weed until I was like you know, in my thirties. And I was just like, and then and look what it did to you. I look at, look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Baby. Baby. Oh man. But yeah, so she's wearing the same nightgown and she's looks, she looks at herself in the mirror and she goes, Jesus, I wouldn't wear this to have my liver out <laughs> and takes another swig. It's hilarious. There is a lot of drinking in this movie. <laughs> yes, there is by, by Barb and Mrs. Mack. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Jess walks upstairs and knocks on Claire's door, but gets no reply and leaves. 
In the attic, Claire's dead body is sitting in the rocking chair by the window. The bag is still over her head and her face is locked in a surprised expression. The killer is rocking her body back and forth and singing a lullaby about baby Agnes. Um, So one of the things that I just, I find so incredibly creepy about this film. And you said earlier, like, you know, you don't love it as much as I do. And, you know, obviously what we like is subjective. But for me, it's every shot of Claire with the bag on her head fucking gives me just the heebie-jeebies every single time. And I think also, naturally, it's because that actress has those, like, sort of sad eyes that kind of slope a little bit. It just, it looks, it's always looks so sad and disturbing to me. And also, coupled with the fact that because she can hold her breath for a long time, like, they get a lot of long-take shots with this. Yeah, th- these scenes are creepy as hell and very effective. Yeah. And to the, obviously there, because... Her body is on the cover of the original uh, poster art, you know, with a bag over her face. Yeah. Which was awesome when Bodie's like, oh, can we uh, take the, it's reversible, the the, the, the Blu-ray art. I'm like, He's like, can we see the other side? I'm like, sure. Let me flip it over. He goes, what's this? I go, it's a dead body with a bag over her head <laughs> to a seven-year-old. Oh great! Oh God, Uncle Cory! No! <laughs> I said this is a uh, this is Uncle Cory's pick. This is Uncle Cory's pick. Ironically, there is no nudity in this movie at all. No, <laughs> but could have been. And that actually is one of the things that this movie does uh, differently from the movies that come after it. Um, is that it? There's no like shower scenes. It doesn't really objectify the women that much in this film. Yeah, because they could have. Easily, especially with Margot, right? Or with Margot, you know, Margot Kidder, Barb. Yeah. I'm not saying they should, but I'm, and, and I have a look of bewilderment on my face right now because I'm, it's not because I'm thinking about that. I'm just thinking, it's kind of surprised. Yeah. Well, all right. has Margot Kidder ever done nudity? I know she, she had like a sort of a sexy scene in Amityville. Um, where I, was she possessed or was he possessed? But she was like, had that nightgown that was kind of open in Amityville. But I don't recall Margot Kidder ever really doing, um, I think full she nudity. Did. I think she did. Okay. I think she did in uh, the Brian, Brian De Palma movie, Sisters. Okay, but okay. That's not the kind of podcast we do. We don't analyze nude scenes. <laughs> yeah. We're not perverts. <laughs> yeah, we do. It's, it actually is what we do here. <laughs> Corey's a pervert. I'm not a pervert. <laughs> Hi, I'm Corey Stevenson. <laughs> it, pervert. Isolate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Zach. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to. Hi, I'm Zach Schaefer. Not a pervert. <laughs> not a pervert. <laughs> Wait, no, I got to do your voice. Hi, I'm Zach Schaefer. Not a pervert. <laughs> Cut, print, post. There you go. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine. Being one of the last people on Earth. Being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. And now, back to the show. 
fades the next day, and an old man is waiting outside the college. It's Mr. Harrison, Claire's dad. He keeps checking his Who, watch. By the way, sorry, I don't mean to yeah, cut you no, off. Fine. I I did because I do. Um, he looks like like he is the. You remember in Silver Bullet, the the bald guy who loses his son. Yeah, yeah. He looks like that guy. Okay. Yeah, he's he. I want to say he looks like a goober, but he he's, he's not, not like he's not he's not an annoying character. Kind of, of a good guy. Yeah, Mr. Harrison. I actually really like him, but he's like he's definitely like an old dad though, you know, and he's definitely like prim and proper but but i really act i really actually like him yeah too bad his daughter's dead at this point <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all of a sudden he gets hit in the face by a snowball knocking that his, was hilarious that was, knocks his glasses off uh he's kind of on the ground looking for him a college kid comes over and picks them up for him and, and says i'm sorry i should have been keeping a better eye on them and then mr harrison the only dick move he does in the entire movie he goes i th- i think so and then the, the kid sort of like like sort of barks back at him yeah well i said i'm sorry uh, and then kind of <laughs> storms yeah. off, which I thought was an accurate response. The kid was like, what? Yeah. Fuck you, you know? So I'm sorry. Uh, kid kind of storms off, but Mr. Harrison follows him and asks uh, the guy, uh, um, he kind of asks the guy for help. He says he was uh, supposed to meet his daughter here at one o'clock, but she's late. Her name is Claire Harrison. Do you know her? Uh, she's in, in a sorority, Pi Kappa Sig. Um, the guy says Kappa is, is their sister sorority. He hasn't seen Claire. He says their sorority house isn't far from here, and he'll tell Mr. Harrison how to get there. Which is funny, because like, he, he's actually a nice guy, and Mr. Harrison kind of gave him shit, you know? Yeah, totally. Cut to Phil's boyfriend dressed up as Santa saying, Ho, 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 shit. With like this kid <laughs> sitting on his lap. Barb says, Santa, please, as she's drinking in front of kids at like 2 p.m. Yeah. Phil's boyfriend uh, says, look, she's supposed to be going away with me for the weekend. God damn it. As another kid kind of climbs up on his lap. Barb says, well, we decided uh, that it would be fun to go skiing for a few days. He says, yeah, and I've been looking forward to this for three weeks. Bitch. Barb says to the kid on his lap, isn't Santa naughty? And then he says, ho, 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 fuck. (laughs) (laughs) He's great, buddy. He's he's only in it for like these two scenes, but I fucking love him. No, he's great. He's great. Cut to Mr. Harrison talking to Mrs. Mack and Claire's room. This is another great example of humor. There's a poster of an old lady giving the middle finger with a quote that says, express yourself. I Mrs. love that poster. I do too. Mrs. Max says, I just don't know. Her clothes are all packed and ready to go. I'll bet uh, I'll bet you'll find her in the common room. They're having a party there today for underprivileged children. Mr. Harrison looks disapprovingly at the poster and says, I'm very disappointed in the atmosphere and I intend to do something about it. Mrs. Mac rolls her eyes, then sees a poster of like a naked guy and gr- a guy and the girl on the ground making a peace sign. And in this scene, yeah, the dude is on top of the girl and the girl's legs are spread out in the Y and the le- guy, the dude is in the center, basically giving it to her missionary style. Yeah. And in with the bare ass and, and this starts an awesome gag that runs through this entire scene um, where <laughs> 
So she quickly, Mrs. Mac quickly puts her hand over the guy's ass in the picture. And she like never removes it for like the rest of the scene while she's talking to Mr. Harrison. Uh, Mr. Harrison picks up a picture and asks, who is it? She says it's a friend of Claire's, a very nice young man named uh, Chris Hayden. Um, Mrs. Mr. Harrison walks back over to Mrs. Mac, who's still like covering the poster with her hand and says, I didn't send my daughter here to be drinking. And he kind of like notices the poster and then picking up boys. Cause like, you can still tell like her hand is covering the butt, but you can tell it still tell it's two naked bodies, you know? But yeah, I love that Mr. Harrison doesn't say anything, but yet they both know it's, it's, it's funny. Mrs. Max says, Oh, Claire's a good girl. Mr. Harrison. I wouldn't want you to get the wrong idea about that. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you'll find her at the fraternity house. As a matter of fact, I could show you the way. I have to go to the store near there. If you wouldn't mind giving me a lift. She's still covering the butt. She goes, I know, he goes, I know where it is, but I'll be glad to give you a ride. Mrs. Mack kind of opens the door with her hand still on, on, she opens the door with her left hand, with her right hand still on the, the picture covering the butt. And it's, I mean, it's obviously like, I mean, you know, Mr. Harrison's like seeing what she's doing and everything. Yeah. Uh, and it's really hilarious. And then she never breaks eye contact with him. As she opens the door, she kind of like slinks past it, you know, past him and everything. She says, uh, I'll just go grab my bag and leave the room. And, and, and she leaves the room. And then there's like a beat and then Mr. Harrison's just standing in the same position and he just moves the door to the side and stares directly at the poster. And I really love funny. this scene, dude. It's really funny. It is. And this is like Bob Clark. Like I said, he does such a great job of doing this humor, but it never feels like it doesn't fit in the same movie with the horror, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect balance. It's it really, really nice. Honestly, it really is. In the bedroom, Mrs. Mack is putting uh, putting her hat on and, and sort of mocking Mr. Harrison. I didn't send my daughter here to be drinking and partying, blah, 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 you know. And she's like, tough shit. And she takes a swig of her sherry. She goes, am I supposed to be responsible for the morals of every girl in this goddamn house? These broads would hump the Leaning Tower of Pisa if they could get up there. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my yeah, exactly. She's she's almost almost like a Looney Tunes version of a drunk person with the hiccups and the bubbles coming out of her and everything. Pretty much, yeah. She's and she looks like she looks like a cartoon character. Also, she does. She really does. Uh, then, as she's putting on the lipstick, she hears a cat meowing. She starts looking for the cat and calling to him. And she's looking around. She's, she's like, Claude, Claude, where are you? And she's like on the second floor. And she, as she's looking around, she spills her purse and all the contents everywhere. And like twice she does this. She blames Claude for doing something. She's like, Jesus, Claude, look what you made me do. <laughs> Don't you do that with everybody too? Of course I do that. I, I, I knock something over and I go, Jesus, Zach, look what you made me do. Corey Stevenson, pervert. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I pictured like the, the image of me being paused, you know, like on the TV, and then you saying that. And then when I say pervert, it like it's, it, the image goes black and white. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then it says convicted. <laughs> Corey Stevenson, convicted pervert. Pervert. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so she's like, Jesus, Claude, look what you made me do. And uh, she sits down and starts to collect her things and and proclaims balls. <laughs> yeah. 
That's funny. Balls. Balls. She, she kind of keeps yelling for Claude as she's stuffing shit back into her purse. Uh, but then she gets frustrated. And she's like, come on, Claude. I got to go. Oh, God damn it, you little prick. And then just then, Mr. Harrison sort of like pops up next yeah. to her. <laughs> it, it is. It literally is like a boop because she's sitting on the stairs. And he looks at her, and he's great because his face is always sort of blank. But he gets yeah. does like a lot of eye expression. Like his eyes get big, and you can tell he's like mortified. But you can tell he's like a rich guy so he doesn't like express a lot you know and i love how she just puts on this fake smile and looks at him and says this is very kind of you mr harrison he kind (laughs) of he kind of sighs and says think nothing of it and then goes back downstairs and then (laughs) and then mrs mac flips him the bird yeah (laughs) she's an alcoholic too she's bitter and angry uh in total class but i will say if i had a if I was a sorority girl and she was my sorority mother, I'd be like pretty stoked because she seems like a lot of fun. She does. And it seems like you can probably get away with some stuff too. Yeah. From the attic window, we see Mr. Harrison and Mrs. Mack walk to their car. The camera pulls back and Claire's dead body is still in the chair with the bag over her head. And there's a couple Dun. shots. Boom. And there's a couple shots with like from the outside where you see it and everything. It's really cool. So creepy. Cut to the college, and Peter is playing the piano in an empty room while Jess tells him that she's pregnant. He stops playing and says, that's fantastic. Jess says, I don't want it. Peter looks stunned. <laughs> she says it best. She says it with more conviction than I did. I, it's there. pretty close to that, though. She's like, I don't want it. I didn't want like, it. I mean, okay, shit. She says she's going to have an abortion. He says you can't make a decision like that. You haven't even asked me. Jess says she wasn't going to even tell him. I mean, this is interesting, right? Apparently they didn't want to. Uh, this this movie had no political stance on Roe v. Wade. However, it makes it. It's a it's definitely controversial for its time. Dude. Still kind of is, I guess, in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, how often do you see characters discussing, discussing abortion like this? And, and, and I feel like the, di- the dynamic here of, of the woman wanting the abortion is a little bit different than we normally see as well. But yeah, given the fact that this is like 1974, that this has got to be like crazy controversial at the time. Well, I think about, uh, the only ones that come to my mind off the top of my head are Fast Times at Ridgemont High yeah. uh, and Last American Virgin. And both later than comedies. this, right? Like, yeah, 80s. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is kind of ahead of its time in a way. Yeah. A little, a little. Uh, yeah. Again, another thing that it's ahead of its time with. I just love that he's like, when he says, you know, you know, we haven't even discussed this first. I'm like, dude. Yeah. Dude. I mean, it's it's dude. it's it's her body. She can she can do what she wants, but it's dude. it's interesting. It's definitely yeah. now I will say, I, I will say well, all right, I'll say at the end of this. All right, hold on. So Peter says, Jess, I want us to have the baby. She says, Peter, I can't. Peter walks away upset, then turns around and says, Don't you ever consider anyone but yourself? Do you know how important this afternoon is to me? And Jess says, yes, I do. So Peter says, why don't you just get out of here? Jess leaves, and Peter goes back to playing the piano. As she's about to walk out of the room, Peter calls out to her and says, Jess, I want to talk to you tonight. She says, there's nothing to discuss. He says, I think there is. I'm going to, I'm, she says, I'm not going to change my mind. He says, we'll see. 
uh, will you be there at nine o'clock? She says, you know, okay, I'll see. She says, yes. He says, okay, I'll see you tonight. And she leaves. Now, the only thing I, I will sort of push back and you got, come on, Jess, this, this is, I mean, you didn't think that this would totally fuck up his game. The whole thing that like he's been working towards tonight. You couldn't have told him this tomorrow, honestly. Well, if she was, if she thought about him, she would have waited till tomorrow. But maybe it is her just thinking about herself. I, I maybe mean, she's a little self-centered. I'm just saying. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, which I guess is really cool because in this scene, there's no good guy or bad guy. Like, right? Because they're kind of both wrong. You know, like he's wrong in sort of pushing her. She's wrong in telling him. All right, so guys and guys, if you haven't seen the movie yet, tonight is like his giant. Like recital, like it's clearly it's something he's been building up to. He's like a, a piano player in a in like a conservatory and everything. And and you know, spoiler alert, it throws him off his game during that scene. And yeah, well, it, it's an audition. It's basically okay. Yeah, it's it's basically it's an audition, and he totally fucks it up because of this. So is he wrong in saying, Jess, you don't think of anybody but yourself? When I watched this movie the first time, I was like, he's, he's just a dick. And then I'm like, I don't know. I mean. Maybe it's just more realistic. Both neither side is right here, you know. I, I I'm not. I mean this tongue in cheek and also truthful at the same time. Uh, Jess is like super hot college chick. Yeah, probably has all these people pining over her, you know. And let's be honest, <clears throat> if you're in that position where you can kind of do no wrong in that way, sometimes those types of people have don't think about other people they are very much egocentric and uh the the scenario i'm painting in my mind is she's she's like oh god this is this guy is just my fling i'm with right now it's only temporary i've got my whole life ahead of me i don't want to fuck it up you know which i'm not discounting that at all and and i think and i know where you're where you're coming from and i think we're both on the same page where we have nothing against like her what were the path she wants to take? It's her totally. body and everything. I think both of us are just like, tell the guy tomorrow, right? Yeah. I also think I'm like, yeah, you're a little bit of a self-centered chick too. You know? Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. A little bit of both. Right. But I, I, has nothing to do with uh, the abortion angle at all. Or her right to choose to have an abortion yeah. as well. Yeah. It has nothing no, no. to do with that. No. Because I'm all, I'm all for uh, that. Yes. But, but what she's, but I get this sense of like, yeah. Just again. Her shit don't stink. Just do it tomorrow, man. Just do it tomorrow. But okay. Her shit don't stink. Right? Everybody. It smells ev- like flowers. Everybody's shit stank. Everybody's shit stinks. Everybody who's had a rib, a beef rib, and pooped <laughs> afterwards, it smells. It does. It does. <laughs> it does. It's really stinky. Cut to the common room, and Mr. Harrison is on the phone with his wife. He's reassuring her that everything is fine and he's going to, you know, he has one of Claire's friends to help him around and to look for her. Cut to the common room and Mr. Harrison is on the phone with his wife. He's reassuring her that everything is fine and he has one of Claire's friends to help him look around for her. The friend he is referring to, unfortunately, is Barb, who's drunk and currently giving booze to a 10-year-old boy. Mr. Harrison tells his wife if uh, if they don't have any luck, they'll go to the police. Barb looks at Mr. Harrison and says, I think this little bugger schnockered. Mr. Harrison says he won't be home tonight and hangs up the phone. Poor Mr. Harrison. It's a funny scene. It is. This little kid is being fed. 
he he's acting like he's drinking what probably really is champagne. Yeah. But he's <laughs> like not having it, but he's acting like he's tipsy. It's funny. It is good. It's funny. Back in the sorority house, Jess is running down the stairs in her bathrobe to answer the phone. She says hello three times. Then, oh, hell no, not again. The voice on the other end sounds like a kid and says, Billy. Billy. <laughs> she says you must have the wrong number, but it's 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 the killer. You know, she doesn't really know it right away. Uh, he starts saying, where did you put Agnes, Billy? And then it sounds like a woman screaming Billy. And she and this is when Jess quickly hangs up the phone. And I'm like, hey, problem solved. <laughs> Done. Done. Cut. Roll credits. Directed by Bob Clark. (laughs) Cut to the local police station. Uh, Barb, Phil, and Mr. Harrison are there talking to Sergeant Nash. Um, He uh, he tells them one at a time because they're all sort of talking at once. Barb says, for a public servant, your attitude really sucks. And then she turns around and puts like a pulls a beer out of her coat pocket. But Nash is great. You mentioned the actor playing him before, but this character he's he's a buffoon. He's he's a little bit crude. He's a bit of a moron, but never goes into caricature. You know what I mean? Like it's never so far that it goes into caricature. But you know that like his career is, is is ends right there. Like he's never going to progress higher than where he's at there because he's just not smart enough. Yeah, pretty much. Nash says, okay, Mr. Harrison, if you're convinced your daughter's missing, you can fill out one of these forms. I don't know if it's any consolation, but 90% of the time these girls are reported missing from the college. They're at a cabin somewhere with their boyfriend. Mr. Harrison says, thanks, but that's not much consolation. Cut to the sorority house, and Jess is helping Mrs. Mack with the front door. She's back from the store that Mr. Harrison took her to earlier. Jess tells Mrs. Mack that there was another of those phone calls just now as Mrs. Mack puts her coat away and looks for a hidden bottle of sherry in the closet. Jess says, it was weird, some woman screaming, then a man wailing. Mrs. Mack says Claire's father was here today. Jess says she's sorry she didn't get to say goodbye to her. Mrs. Mack says, well, you still might. Claire didn't meet him where she was supposed to. I thought she went over to the fraternity. Mrs. Mack pulls out a, 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 the hidden bottle, but it's empty. Wasn't there a Jerky Boys thing where where they're like, th- my name's Al, alcoholic? I wasn't a Jerky Boys fan. I've never, oh. I've never, uh, I've never really gotten or understood or appreciated prank call humor. It just oh, was Jerky never Boys my is hilarious, thing. dude. Oh yeah, the guy was like, hey, this is Al, alcoholic. <laughs> clever very good yeah sure it's great (laughs) it is it's hilarious the movie was terrible the movie was sucked but the old crank calls back in the day were so funny Uh, all right (laughs) i'm zach and i'm not a pervert (laughs) i'm zach and i like jerky boys (laughs) that's what i'm gonna say when i don't know what else to say not to be confused with jersey boys there you go Sherry, baby. Oh, <laughs> dead. Uh, cut back to the police station, and, <laughs> and Nash asks Barb for the number of the sorority house. She decides to fuck with him and says the number is Fellatio two o eight eight o. Nash says what? Barb says Fellatio. It's a new exchange. F e. 
Nash says, that's a new one to me, and asks how to spell fellatio. She smiles and spells it for him. It's, it's, it's funny, but a better scene is going to come from it later. Yes. Yeah, because at first you're like, okay, this is funny. Where are we going? But it actually has a payoff later. Like, like really good humor. It's laid here and then pays off later. Yeah, exactly. Back on campus, Jess goes to talk to Chris at the hockey practice. And man, guys and gals, if you just watch this scene just to see 1974 uh, hockey masks, see what they I look was like. Gotta say, I wrote that in my notes. I love his hockey mask. Me too. It's really fucking Great cool looking. Mask. Do you love his yep. unibrow too? I'm not a fan. <laughs> not really a fan. Yeah. Chalk this one up to our ongoing discussion that we always have about movies that are filmed prior to what late 90s how no man no male actor did any grooming like above their beard and i mean a lot of times you'll see like fucking like 29 year old guys they look old because they have like nose hairs they have unibrows because men didn't groom jack shit above or below their fucking beard back then yep yep do you? I I trim my unibrow a little bit. I I've I've been plucking my eyebrows since I was uh, in my twenties. Yeah, I you know I cut mine like I make sure they don't get crazy like old man eyebrows yeah, and too. everything. But man, I, you, I do the same. Yeah. I, I'm getting ear hair now. I have to pluck my ear hair. I'm getting gray nose hair. Yep, and, and it whistles. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. I hear this like, <laughs> I'm like what the fuck? God damn it! So I get up and I have to like I pull it with tweezers i pull it out of my nose and it's painful, and it's painful. but i'm like it's, but and then i i'm like i did it but it's uh what is the the telltale heart edgar Allan poe yeah. where he hears the beating it's the the telltale heart for me is the long ass nose hair in my nose because i go i lay back down and here okay good <whistles> fuck <laughs> damn it and i go and i do it again it always comes back zach schaefer manscaper <laughs> that's a good one i can't believe it's taken us this long to get to that but that is fucking perfect jack and Schaefer, uh, zach schaefer manscaper there you go <laughs> and by the way jerky boys i must say is a nice pull with me in uh this this movie because of the crank caller it's yeah. jerky boys crank calling so there you go you know i mean just because the joke didn't land for me because i don't care about the jerky boys doesn't mean it's not gonna land for somebody else out there so i'm sure somebody appreciates it the jersey boys <laughs> Sherry. oh god <laughs> sorry and you're welcome so, okay, back on campus, sorry, we were talking about Chris and his <laughs> hockey mask and his and his eyebrow hair, that's the whole thing. Yeah, sweet hockey mask. Yeah, and I, and I like, it's, I don't know, it's a good scene, it's it's cool, because he's, he's actually playing hockey, he's, he's the goalie, and, and... He's Canadian. Yeah, they're all, yeah, he's Canadian, and... Uh, oh, that's, that's so fucked up, he says all Canadians play hockey. No, I didn't, but if you want me to, I will. I think all Canadians do play hockey. It's I think that's it. You know what? I will say that. I will say all Canadians play hockey. Hey, all the guys at uh, Action Action and Talking Back, you guys are all Canadian. Let us know. Do you guys all play hockey? <laughs> yeah, and Lee, friend of the show, Lee, do yeah. they all play hockey? Yeah. Oh, and they all eat poutang. Poutang. Poutang? No, poutine. Poutine. Sorry. Poutang. Oops. I'm Zach Schaefer, and I'm a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> 
And a manscaper. And a manscaper. <laughs> Black and white manscaper. <sighs> All right, let's roll back in. <laughs> so he asks, he asks what's up. Uh, Jess says, did you see Claire today? Chris says, no, she, she went home. Uh, Jess says, no, she didn't. No one knows where she is. Jess uh, keeps saying, I thought, I thought maybe she was with you, or at least you might have heard from her. Chris says she's not. Chris says not since last night. She says Claire's father went to the police station when she didn't show up. Chris asked what happened, and she said that they didn't take the report seriously. They think she's shacked up with somebody. Chris looks pissed. Cut to Peter playing the piano in front of four teachers. This is that audition we were talking about. And I don't know much about like classical music, but this doesn't sound great to me. <laughs> He's no Ingvang Malmsteen, I can tell you that much. Oh wait, that's about that's guitar. Sorry. He's also sweating profusely. So he's no John Tesh. There you go. There you he's go. no Yanni. He's no Yanni, but he's no Bruce Hornsby. It sounds like shit. So yeah, he's and, no Paul McCartney. And when when he's done playing, he hangs his head low. <laughs> It is it is horrible. Yeah, you're 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 musically inclined and talented. That was terrible, right? Like on obviously on purpose, but that was pretty fucking bad, right? On purpose, yeah. It but it's it's like he has no shred of talent at all. <laughs> it's like the guy, yeah, it's like the guy that oversells himself on a date. But or but he's been in a conservatory for 8 years. I mean, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> fucking Nothing, I guess. He's, he's not calling his girlfriend. And, the sorority is what he's doing. And knocking up Jess, apparently. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he. hats off to him. I guess. Meanwhile, you got it. So, by the way, because Olivia Hussey, Hussey, it's so funny. Uh, she was, what, like 14 or 15 when she did Romeo and Juliet, right? I think so, yeah. She was young, yeah. And then that movie came out in 64 or 68? 64? Uh, no, yeah, I think it was it was more like sixty eight. It wasn't that far away. Okay, but then but then Cure Delay. Well, I mean, this is kind of an easy thing to look up, I suppose. But Cure Delay did two thousand one. Uh, so Cure Delay was born in nineteen thirty six. If you're trying to get their ages, um, or they're different. Fifty one. What was it? She's born in nineteen fifty one. So uh, that age difference, what about fifteen years, right there? Yeah. Do the math. Yeah, you guys do the math. I'm not doing it. <laughs> but yeah, there's a significant age gap in between. So if she's like uh, 24 when she did Black Christmas, right? 10 years later? Yeah, something like that. Or yeah. not, not 10 years, six years later. So she's like 22, right? Yeah, because yeah. Romeo and Juliet was 668. Sorry, she's 20 or 22. Yeah. Know? Let's say she's 20. So he's like 35. <laughs> Jesus, 35? Yeah. I mean, it's and he, not. And he kind of looks like it, guys and gals. He, he kind of does. Uh, I mean, he's a good looking dude, but he looks significantly older than her. Yeah. And his hair isn't doing him any favors either. No. I, I like it. He's, he's better looking with shorter hair than the, the mop that he has in this. And it almost looks like a wig, too. So another connection to both of our Christmas movies have this 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 month is uh, older men, way younger women. Yes, yeah, Trancers, Tim Thomerson and, and Helen Hunt. That was hey, pro- Grandpa, right? Probably about the same same age difference, I would imagine, fifteen plus years. What's the oldest 
what's the biggest age difference you've ever had with the person you've dated? Um, well, like really dated, like for realsies, 10, yeah. 10 is max, but I've fooled around with ones that are a little bit, you know, bigger age gap than Be that. careful. <laughs> I know. Not, I mean, they were older than 18, obviously, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But like 10 years younger than you. So yeah. they've always been younger. Well, yeah, my, my, well, my, my was 10 years younger than me, but I've also um, been with someone who was about 10 years older too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You? What about you? Yeah, my my ex-wife was eight years older than me. Okay. Okay. I think I went on a date once with a girl who was way younger than me, and I was talking to her about Saved by the Bell, and she's like, what's that? I'm like, ooh. You're like, oh, man. (laughs) You're hot, but this isn't going to go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm Zach, and I'm not a pervert. (laughs) I'm a manscaper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he fucks up the the uh, homicidal, the the recital, and uh, and he's a he has a meltdown. Yeah, he basically has a meltdown, and we'll see the extent of that meltdown uh, in a little bit, in a little in a, a small scene. Um, yeah, in like two minutes, basically. Yeah. But in pad terms, that's about an hour later. Yes. <laughs> Thanks to both of us, by the way. Mostly me. Yeah, you're quite chatty tonight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm that Zach, and I'm chatty tonight. <laughs> Cut to the police station, and a distraught woman is reporting her high school daughter missing. She didn't come home from band practice. The detective she's talking to is Lieutenant Ken Fuller, played by John Saxon. John B.D.E. Saxon. Saxon. <laughs> he's so he's so jacked up. That guy is so like he's buff looking and muscul his musculature. And somehow he can pull off the weird comb over thing that he does. He's the only one who he's can. He's the only one that could ever fucking pull that haircut off. It's not a toupee. I know. It's just it's a weird comb over thing that he does but it's so john saxony you know um but no one else could do it man it's 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 all him and i think it's all bde because he's just like i don't give a fuck what my hair looks like i got a giant swinger between my legs <laughs> got a giant swinger <laughs> between my legs uh all of a sudden, isolate that <laughs> all of a sudden chris and jess burst through the precinct door chris says nash you stupid son of a bitch you got a big goddamn mouth. Fuller walks over to the desk and says, hey, Chris, how's your brother? So you can already tell that, you can, I mean, it's supposed to be a small town and everything, and Chris is a townie, um, and he knows Ken, Ken Fuller, a.k.a. John Saxon's character. Chris says, Ken, I got to talk to you. I want to know why there's nothing being done about Claire Harrison missing. Fuller asks if he's a friend of Claire's, and he says he's been taking her out. Then he introduces Jess. She lives at the sorority house with Claire. Fuller tells them to go to his desk and asks Nash for the file on Claire Harrison. Back at the sorority house, Mrs. Mack, Mr. Harrison, Phil, and Barb are all at the dining room table having a meal. Well, Barb's crashed out on the the drunk on the couch, um, and Mr. Harrison isn't really eating much. Mrs. Max says to Mr. Harrison, starving yourself isn't going to help. He says he just doesn't have the appetite. He feels like he should be doing something but doesn't know what. Drunk Barb then starts talking about like a species of turtles that can screw for three days without stopping. 
this dialogue I thought was a little meh. Like, well, yeah, this was the moment. This was probably one of the moments that I had an issue with, where I'm like, meh. It, it just feels like it's excessive, and it could have been trimmed. Honestly, I feel like this scene could have been cut. Well, I guess you need cut, you yeah. need to show Barb a drunk like this because she's gonna have to go to bed, and that's like sort of a part of the story. But ultimately, yeah, I don't love. Right, so, so she talks about yeah. like she does this terrible like story. Where she's like, you know, talks about these turtles that can that, that can screw for three days without stopping. Um, you know, she's like, how could she? How could I make something like that up? Mrs. Mac sort of tries to talk her down. You can tell Phil, you know, Phil's sort of looking amused, but also saddened because she also knows that Barb's just drunk. Mr. Harrison is not amused. Barb goes on three days. I'm lucky if I get three minutes. She knows this because she went to the zoo and watched them. She says. It was very boring. She went, so she went to go watch the zebras because they take thirty seconds. And then she's like, "Premature ejaculation!" <laughs> it's literally the most unfunny scene in the entire movie. Barb falls back down on the couch, laughing. Everyone looks at her, and then she says, "You think it's my fault, don't you? It's what you're all thinking. Why don't you just come right out and say it? You think that I drove her away, and if she's dead, you're gonna blame me." Mrs. Mack tries to settle her down. It goes as well as you can imagine. Barb blows up at everybody. Finally, Phil has enough of it and says, Barb, you're drunk. Go to bed. Barb sort of sobers up and says, yeah, sure, fine, and leaves the room. So, like, the only thing you take away from it is that, you know, Barb is feeling like, like it, you know, everyone thinks it's her fault and she's drunk and she goes to bed. That's like all you need from it. But it honestly, I would say every time I watch it, it's the worst scene in the movie. Yeah, I, I, we already know that she's a drunk or she's been drinking all day. We already know that. So you don't need to reestablish that by having her go off on this tangent. You need to you need to lay this foundation for her accusing everyone of of, of, of thinking they're accusing her. You could have done that without that convoluted story and you and already making the dad feel more uncomfortable doesn't help the scene and it doesn't help his character and it really doesn't help anything in the movie uh, it makes her more uh, disliked disliked you know and so what's about to happen to her in a little bit like you, you kind of care less in a way yeah. because at this point you're like well she's kind of such an unlikable character um yeah, it just goes on a little. Her fellatio story is funny, but it does also drag a little bit too. Yeah. Like, I'm going to say Margot Kidder is kind of the one who drags the movie down. If anything, she drags it down a little bit. I 100% agree with you, even though like I do love seeing her, but she's like my least favorite character, and it's not her character. I just don't really love what they're doing with her. And I'm almost one. I almost feel like maybe her role was beefed up a little bit once they had her. Cause they were like, Oh, I, you know, cause she was somebody at the time and everything. Um, I don't know, but and also at the same time, like there's this level of like, you know, if you're playing drunk, like acting, playing drunk, like if you're just a little tipsy, it works. But if you go this far, there's a fine line between it actually working and not working, like working, Look at uh, Trading Places when he's in the Santa costume and he's drunk and like growling and everything. Here it's like, I feel like you're acting drunk. That's the difference, you know? Yeah, it just feels a little forced. Yep, yep. 
Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And I completely agree with your your entire assessment of, of you know, Barb's character and everything and how she's used in this film. Definitely my least favorite part of the movie. Cut to a scene of Peter destroying the piano he was playing with a mic stand. Now, I assume he's going to have to pay the conservatory back for that. It's not his piano. What the fuck? Not his fucking piano. But I guess he's going out large, right? Oh, man. It's your fault. It's your fault. Okay, sure. He's spoiled rich boy. Yep. It's your fault, penis. You you made her <laughs> pregnant. It's your fault, penis. It's your fault, penis, that you don't work anymore. Me. <laughs> you did it one time and you got her pregnant. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Cut back to the sorority house, and Jess and Chris arrive looking for Mr. Harrison. Jess and Chris go into the dining room where Mr. Harrison and Phil are talking, and you can you can tell Chris introduces himself, and they all exchange words before getting up and quickly leaving. The thing is, the camera's actually outside the window, so you don't actually hear the dialogue in this short little scene right here, but it's effective, and I think it makes it interesting. You don't need to hear the dialogue. You see him, like, you know, you see Chris shake Mr. Harrison's hand and all this kind of stuff, and you don't really need it. Um, And then they go back to the front door, and then you can hear the dialogue there. So at the front door, everyone is leaving except for Mrs. Mack. Jess says they won't be long. Mrs. Mack stops Phil at the door and says says she's going to see her sister uh, for the holidays, and she won't be there when they get back. Phil says they'll be... Phil says they'll be all right and asks if uh, Mrs. Mack will check on Barb before she leaves. Cut to a park at night, and the police are there and a large group of people. It's a search party. Lieutenant Fuller is talking to everyone over, like, a bullhorn, thanking them for coming out uh, on such a cold night. And you can tell. Like, they filmed this in Canada. You can tell it's fucking cold out there. I uh, The power went out of my house the day after this uh, I I watched this movie and it was out for 24 hours and it was not nearly as cold as it is everywhere else in the country and I was freezing my ash off and I was like, oh my god, how do people do this? How do people do this? I know, right? It's pretty fucking horrible. And I'm like, I'm a little bitch for complaining. Zach Schaefer, little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> fucking great bro fucking great (laughs) oh and real quick so they they were hoping for snow but apparently it didn't snow they used this like white foam everywhere to kind of uh, like simulate the snow yeah and apparently no one knew what kind of chemical was in the 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 powder the the foam but the grass the next like spring you know with the grass it didn't die it like came back vibrant green and they're like we don't know what chemical was in that foam David Irons right now with his new house remodel. He's like, see, bro, I scraped the paint off the walls and it's going to grow. It's it's not asbestos. It's not asbestos. And Roxy's like, I think it's asbestos. <laughs> Roxy's running out of there. <laughs> ah! yeah. He's going to fuck up my voice. Guys no. and gals, our, our pal David, uh, David Irons, uh, horror, <laughs> horror author extraordinaire, he bought a Session 9 house, and it looks like fucking Session 9. It's Jesus, wild. dude, be safe. It, yes. Roxy, wear a mask, please. Yes, please, guys. You, you guys are... Please. But we're very we're very happy for both of you. But also, please be safe. <laughs> yes, please be safe. We want you to live a very long and fruitful lives. So basically, what Fuller's telling them, they're going to be looking for two people: Claire and the high school girl reported missing earlier. 
Fuller gives everyone their assignment and what people should do. Jess, Phil, Chris, and Mr. Harrison are in the search party. After Fuller gives his speech, everyone starts searching the park. Back outside the sorority house, we see Peter standing in the shadows looking at the house. He eventually sits by a tree and watches. Not creepy. No, not creepy at all. Inside, Mrs. Mack is packing her suitcase and taking sips of her sherry. In the attic, we see the cat Claude sniffing Claire's dead body. Uh, they, they of course put like catnip on the bag cause he's kind of like licking the bag. Um, but the, apparently they tried throwing the cat on her and it just would like, Rah! you know, like it'd do the cat thing with like Jesus. its claws out and she's and they're just like, let's just put a little catnip on, on the plastic right there. Outside a cab arrives for Mrs. Mac and honks its horn. A drunk Mrs. Mac yells, all right, I hear ya. She's about to zip up her suitcase when she hears a cat meowing in the vents above. Mrs. Max starts searching the house looking for him. She hears a creak come, coming from the attic and goes to investigate. The cab the cab keeps honking for her and she yells, God damn it, you can wait. Well, probably won't wait, but okay. Yeah. Mrs. Mack finally sticks her head up through the attic door and looks around without fully like going into the attic. Claude, are you up here? She kind of rips her coat and says, Jesus, Claude, look what you made me do again, right? Uh, she kind of ducks back down, uh, and, and as she does, we see the killer is standing in the shadows holding a giant hook on a rope. So, guys and gals, this is, uh, I, I'm sure you've seen it, but what it is, the, the hook is basically up there to kind of hoist furniture uh, from from down below, either into the attic or into the second floor. Uh, a lot of old mansions have stuff like this because you couldn't get your 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 bed into the front door and up the stairs and everything. What, what it also means is that the, the attic has a giant window that can be opened fully, almost like a barn. And that's how also how the killer got in easily. But it's 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 that that's the hook that he's holding. So. Peter is outside a little while ago. Mm-hmm. I think he's still outside right now, but that's <laughs> interesting. No, I, I, I think the killer is a completely different person, but I do. I do understand that the movie's telling you otherwise or trying do to you tell have, you otherwise. Do you have a theory as to who that is though? Yeah. I think he's just a straight up like insane asylum type of person, like like crazy person talking to himself and breathing heavily. I, I respectfully disagree. Yeah, no, that's that's I cool. I don't think the movie's smart enough to do that. But. <laughs> okay. I am... But, I don't know. But I'm very curious to hear what people, uh, what our listeners think. I mean, clearly, you and I are completely divided on this, and I don't know if anything will change that by the end of this review. So, guys and gals, feel free to chime in, message us, you know, DM us, or just leave a comment on any of the posts that we make about it. But we would love to know... Uh, what you guys think if if the killer is Peter or if the killer is like a separate person? Is that is that, that's a little bit of a like a I know what you did last summer type scenario then because that killer was like not necessarily connected right to the kids so directly. I, so I saw I know what you did last summer once. I hated it. I never to this day understand like why people like it. And in fact, I don't really care much for like late 90s slasher films i think they all look yeah. the fucking same they none of them are fucking bloody at all like that was my thing with like i know what you did last summer i again i saw it once in the theater and i just remember being like where was like any violence in that movie 
Yeah. I just think it was just kind of a product product of its time, you know. Oh yeah, totally. No, but but that but but in the sense that I'm trying to remember I don't remember I felt like the killer wasn't directly connected to the kids. I thought it was he the was guy they hit in the a, car. I thought I thought that was just the guy they hit. Yeah, it was just like the guy they hit, but he wasn't like, you know, he didn't know them. Right. Yeah. So is that kind of in the sense like this this yes. killer is just a random yes. dude in their house? That's okay. my that's my takeaway. Okay. That I'm gonna again disagree. That's, yeah, let's find out. Let's yeah. find out. Let's take a poll. We should do a Instagram poll. I'll, yeah, when we promote this, I'll I'll we'll do that. I do I am curious because Me too. I, I know that the you know, again, like I said, I know the movie's telling you that, but I don't truly believe it. And then but you latched on to it, so I was I'm like, okay, I, I don't know. I'm not saying you're wrong, you know. I yeah. just that's no. not my take. I'm not saying you're wrong either. But just so you know, and please, please, Zach, you back yours up as we go along. Um, because I took notes, you know, through the lens of what I believe, basically. So Please always interrupt me and and tell me when something con- you think something contradicts something and you sort of believe that it it you know validates Peter being the killer. Just don't hesitate to let me know. Yeah, like I think he's in the he he got in through the house. Okay, already. Yeah, yeah. like so right now he basically because the shot that we see is him sitting by the 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 uh, like a, a Jesus the shot we see of him in the shadows he sits under a tree but yeah there's nothing to say that he didn't just sit there for like a second and then get back up and and walk and go up into the attic you know mm-hmm. right because yeah. in a little bit he's gonna be coming from down upstairs oh. so mrs mac kind of like you know ducks back down to sort of check her jacket and kind of pops her head back up um into the little crawl space area the whole you know obviously guys and gals you know when i say the attic door it's on the floor of the attic the the ceiling of the second floor you guys know what i'm talking about there so she brings her head back up and she's like oh jesus i gotta clean this place up one of these days that's funny and she's kind of like looking around and then her eyes finally land on claire in the chair with the bag on her head and she gasps just then, she hears someone behind her and slowly turns her head to see the killer release the hook. And this is awesome. It catches her under the chin, and we see basically her feet in the attic, like on the ladder. And she, you can just tell she's getting like sucked upwards. You know, she's not climbing. She's getting like violently lifted up. And then the camera stays on like just the shot of that and you just hear the like she's gargling and everything and i think that shit is so much more effective when you don't actually see it i think the only time i saw someone kind of get it someone kind of get it like that was timothy dalton in hot fuzz when his mouth goes in the spike yeah and he's still alive or whatever and you're like yeah because it's not going through their head so she's standing she's like hanging there in pain oh gosh oh it's it's horrible you know you see her legs kicking oof uh shelly winters canadian shelly winters oof (laughs) canadian shelly winters r.i.p she's gone a question for our canadian friends would you go oof or would you go oof Oof or oof. Do you I call it do you call it put <laughs> I almost fucking putang do you call it putang or poutine? Putang. <laughs> and and do you guys all play hockey? Is it like is it standard? <laughs> like do you have to as far as like high school goes? Do they make you play hockey? Well, and they're gonna come back with me and they're gonna Okay, Zach's in California. Do all Pete Californians surf? Yeah. The answer is yes. 
except for Corey, because I was scared of great white sharks. So I never stepped foot in the ocean once. And then they're going to say, oh, are all Oregonians perverts? Yes. Are they all stoners? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Downstairs, the cab driver's knocking on the front door. Uh, and and uh, when nobody answers, he does, so he does this weird, like, it's the opposite of what Barb does. He runs his thumb across like under his nose and does some weird upward hook thing. Again, guys and gals, I don't know what all these old hand gestures are, but I'm glad we all just do the bird now. I mean, meanwhile, I'm like, dude, settle down, man. I know yeah, you're, you, you lost a, you, you got stood up, but who are you making the face to? No one. Well, as an ex lift driver in L.A., I completely am on this guy's side. And I'm like, I get why you're angry, buddy. I understand. You just wasted your night. Yes. <laughs> uh, back in the park, uh, Mr. Harrison, uh, Chris, Phil and Jess are all huddled around a like a fire. You know, it's in a garbage can type of thing. Uh, Jess says she has to split. Peter is coming to talk to her and she's already late. Phil and Chris say they'll be home soon, too. It's freezing out. Jess leaves. We get a quick shot of the sorority house from the outside. The camera goes up from the front door to the attic window, and we see, and we see Claire by the window. Then the focus shifts, and we see Mrs. Mac dead. She's hanging. She's still hanging there with the hook under her, her jaw, and it's, like, coming Ugh. out, like, the, the side of, like, her face a little bit, too. It's, it's, it's brutal. And on that shot... We hear a woman scream, but it's like an auditory transition because we cut to back to the park and we see the woman who's screaming in the park. And this is another silly one because she's doing the 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 Jim Carrey fake screaming where you're like grabbing at your face, you know, and everything. Yes. And you're just like, just look away, lady. Just look away if you're going to be screaming this much, you know. But everyone yeah. hears her and goes running to see. Uh, eventually, Mr. Harrison runs up and looks shocked. Then the mother from earlier walks up and screams. We know it's not Claire. We know it's the other girl. But again, I also like the fact you never see the body. You only see people's re re you know expressions. And you can only assume it's horrible. Are we also assuming that whoever did this it killed everybody in the house? That's my takeaway. That's the thing that I tracked is that he went through the park. He got her first, then got to the house. Um, if if it's the, if it's the Peter thing, if if Peter is the killer, then I would say that these things are completely unrelated. Because if Peter is the killer, I don't think he's killing this girl. You know, I think he could have. Okay. Okay. Right. I think he could have out of like a, a fit of rage. Just a just a, like basically. You know what? And, and even though I'm not with you on it, I'll back your claim up. Maybe what we saw him doing to the piano is basically what he did to her. You know, you're you're backing up my claim. <laughs> you're agreeing with me. I'm not sold yet, buddy. Not sold yet. And you're a pervert. <laughs> that is right. Uh, in another edit on sound, the mother screaming is a phone ringing. So basically we get that woman screaming uh, or we get a scream going into that scene and then a scream coming out of that scene. Um, and then it's the phone ringing and we cut back to the sorority house as Jess gets home to answer it. Uh, it's the it's it's, you know, either Peter, the moaner, whoever you want. It's the killer. Uh, this time he says, please help me. Please, God, please stop. Help me stop. Please stop me. And this might be Peter, you know, coming through. It is. Jess says, what do you want? Why are you doing this? And the caller screams and starts saying, filthy belly. I know what you did, belly. And Jess hangs up the phone and yells for Mrs. Mac. 
She looks around downstairs. Upstairs, we see a shadow move in the hallway. Jess goes back to the phone and starts dialing with her back to the stairs. Slowly, someone starts walking down the stairs towards her. Jess is on the phone talking to the cops about the obscene phone calls they've been getting and what can be done. She's, she's put on hold. All of a sudden, Peter throws his coat over the steering rail and scares Jess. Peter says he was upstairs taking a nap. This is to Zach's point. Yep. He got cold waiting for her outside. Jess apologized for being late. She says she was with the search party looking for Claire Harrison. Peter says, how noble. What a dick. Jess asks how the recital went. Peter says, how do you think it went? Jess says, Peter, what kind of games are you playing? I thought you wanted to talk. Just then the cop on the other end of the phone comes back and says, now, and you hear Jess say, now stay on the line. Uh, All right, so if you guys didn't grow up in the 80s, I guess we should probably also say that, like, it wasn't uncommon for houses to just have one phone um, in the 70s. So the entire movie, the phone that's the house phone here, there is another line in Mrs. Mac's room. It's, It's a whole other line. But the main house phone is kind of like, in the middle of the house on the first floor by the stairs and the front door. It's just kind of important to know that later. Yeah. Yeah. And I also want to point out too. Yes. So Peter comes downstairs and he's, he was taking a nap. He was okay. That doesn't, I don't buy that. And also I think because this movie was kind of the first of its kind in a sense, it's not smart enough yet to figure have that alternate killer like yeah. we would now. Yeah. Now we would. Now it's too obvious that it would that it's Peter. Yeah. And you kill Peter, but the killer's still alive. I'll scream or something like that, you know? Uh, but but, but, if it is, but if it is Peter and he gets killed at the end, we know the killer's still alive at the end though. We we know or is that in or is that in the, the, or was, I feel like that scene was just tacked on at the end though. That's, that's my thought. Okay. Okay. Because I, I feel like that's the disconnect. Okay. Which I don't dislike. I don't dislike that. I like that. Cause it sets up another, or maybe there's two killers. Oh yeah. You know what? Maybe, maybe Peter killed one of them or not. Yeah. I know what you mean. Or maybe Peter killed the one in the, the park, the girl in the park, but not, you know, I know, I know what you mean. Again, by the end of it, we'll see if I change or you change, but I, I kind of don't think either of us will. But I am very curious to hear your, you know, how you're tracking this. I, I am, yeah. I find it very interesting, and I don't I think mean, you're the I, only one. I, I don't at all think you're the only one, but I also don't think I'm the only one either. Now I'm just curious what the what the general consensus is on this. I think I think watching this now, knowing when it came out, yada yada yada, I'm like, oh yeah, it's clearly him. We just this is the first time we've kind of done a movie like this before. And, and I understand where you're coming from. Like, like, you know, movies and stuff like we, we build on the tropes and we build on the knowledge of what came before us. So the first is always going to be a little different than anything else. And I do feel you on that, that this, that we, you know, horror writers and filmmakers back then might not have been, you know, had as much sophisticated examples to, to draw from, you know? Yeah. 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 Cut to Sergeant Nash at the police station on the other end of the conversation. He says, calm down, lady. Let's have the story. He asks, what's the address? 6 Belmont Street, Simon Belmont. 
can't ever hear Belmont without thinking Simon Belmont from Castlevania. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, or or uh, nin- the Nintendo cartoon. Remember? I know, but they God, they oh, you know what pissed me off about that cartoon is that they made him into such a goof. Yeah, and he was such a badass in the game, and then Kid Icarus is like. Ico, uh, Nintendo is is uh, everything is Icarus. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I wasn't the biggest fan of that cartoon. You, you know that what? Cartoon I actually, sucked. You know what I actually did like in the cartoon <laughs> when he went into the cartoon world. His he had the controller on his belt buckle, and if you like, yeah. hit, like jump, he could jump really far. <laughs> I liked that. That was kind of the only. <laughs> I liked fucking uh, uh, King Hippo's giant fucking nipples. Yeah, I mean, oh, his his yeah, his pepperoni nipples, his giant pepperoni nipples. I, I, yeah, that cartoon sucked yeah. though. Like they could have made it so much better than they did. They that re- really pissed me off because I, yeah, like and then in the opening where the kid gets pulled into the game, that weird random green like computerized yeah. guy pulled, and that's creepy as shit. Like Lawnmower Man. Anyways, we yeah. might do a TV obscura like our our least favorite popular tv shows that that'd be i'd be down for that for sure totally we are always like praising things maybe we do one episode where we're kind of we take something and trash it a little bit i'm down with that (laughs) that's fun that'd be a fun little thing to do uh mr harrison here's he kind of here's you know here's that here's the address and walks over nash asks uh if she called the phone company he goes uh i see then he says uh, they're very busy dealing with a child murder in the park. He says he doesn't know when he can get a man over there. Probably just one of the boyfriends playing a joke. To your to your point. Yep. He's just playing a joke and he's murdering people for real. <laughs> oh, Nash. So quickly to just sh- sweep it under the rug. Um, at this point, uh, Chris and Phil have joined Mr. Harrison by Nash. Nash hangs up the phone and walks away while the three of them sort of look at each other. Back at the sorority house, Jess is sitting on the couch. Peter asks what's wrong. Jess said the search party looking for Claire found a little girl murdered in the park and Claire is still missing. Peter's like a little reassuring. He goes, I know you're upset, but I have something to tell you. I'm leaving the conservatory. He's like, I've lived in one room for eight years and I'm tired of it. It's like, I'm tired of lining up behind eight people to go anytime I want to take a bath. And I'm like, who takes a bath? What grown man takes a bath? Canadians, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. <laughs> take a bath with poutine. <laughs> yes, with my poutine, my poutine. He goes, I'm quitting the conservatory and we're getting married. Why don't you, a nice proposal, asshole. Yeah. Just looks shocked and says, do you remember when we first met? You told me about wanting to be a concert pianist, how it was your greatest dream. And I told you about some of the things that I wanted to do. I still want to do those things. You can't ask me to drop everything I've been working for and give up all my ambitions because your plans have changed. Be realistic. I can't marry you. Peter says, sure you can. You can still do anything you want to do. Jess kind of cuts to the chase. Peter... I don't want to marry you. Yep. Peter looks shook, then says, what about the baby? Jesus. Cut to the police station. Mr. Harrison is sitting at Lieutenant Fuller's desk. Nash hands the obscene phone report to Fuller and says, I didn't want to bother you with it, sir. Fuller grits his teeth and says, oh, you didn't. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. 
And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Don't you think we ought to look into this, Nash? Well, Lieutenant, I guess, sure. Mr. Harrison says, thank you, Lieutenant, and leaves with Chris and Phil. When Fuller goes to call the sorority house via the report Nash left, another detective is watching him pick up the phone and laughing. I love the other detective, by the way. Yeah, that guy's great. He's fucking amazing. As soon as Fuller looks down to dial the number, he stops and the other detective bursts out laughing. He, mu- he kind of must have seen the fellatio extension, you know, beforehand or overheard it or whatever, but he knows. Fuller laughs, too, and calls Nash over and asks, what is this? Nash <laughs> says, it's the number for the sorority house. Fuller goes, fellatio? Nash is like, yeah, it's the new exchange, F.E. The other detective is losing his shit. One of the girls that was here this afternoon gave it to me. Fuller says, she gave it to you? The smirk. Then says, Nash... I don't think you could pick your nose without written instructions. He takes the report back from Nash. Nash looks like perplexed, then says, I know. Something dirty, ain't it? The other <laughs> fucking lieutenant just dies. I love and it. what a great scene, bro. Like, like yep. it's funny. It's a it breaks up the, you know, any kind of monotony, but it it doesn't feel funny like, oh, this is funny. It feels in-world. Like, it feels like it could exist, and it's a moment that's naturally funny. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel out of place. And that other detective is great. Yeah. Back at the sorority house, Peter breaks an ornament on the tree. And this is where I sort of noticed the tree is covered in tinsel. Like, just barely, I mean, guys and gals, like, every inch is covered in tinsel. Yeah, the cat mrs butterworth or whatever her name is claude <laughs> claude i'm like poor cat that cat's gonna be dead probably eating all that fucking tinsel and trying to shit right. it out <laughs> he goes you selfish bitch you're talking about killing our baby as though you were having a wart removed keep that phrase in mind later jess says now can you see why i didn't want to tell you well you should still have told him yeah Peter says, what the hell are you trying to do to me? Peter walks over and says, Jess, let's get one thing straight. You're not going to abort that baby. Jess says, Peter, you're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. You better leave. And I'm like, yeah, Jess, fucking yeah. Don't let that man tell you what to do with your body. Yeah. Peter gets in her face and says, if you try and get an abortion, you're going to be very sorry. She tells him to get out. As Peter is leaving... Phil, Lieutenant Fuller, someone else, it's its Graham from the, the, the phone company, walk through the front door. As they do, Peter runs like through them and slams the door. You can tell Fuller looks at him sort of suspiciously. Phil says uh, she'll go get Jess and walks into the other room. Jess asks if there's any new news, uh, but Phil says no. Uh, there are people here to see about the phone calls. Phil introduces uh, Jess to Lieutenant Fuller and the other guy who works for the phone company. This guy's name's Graham. Fuller says they would like to put a tap on the phone so they can trace where the calls are coming from. Fuller tells the phone guy to get started, then tells Phil and Jess to take him to see Claire's room. Lieutenant Fuller is looking around in Claire's room and asked uh, who was the last one to see her was. Jess says it was her around 1030 last night. Fuller picks up a glass and asks what it is. They say they had a party last night. Fuller asks if uh, Claire drinks a lot. Phil says no, hardly at all. By the way, if Phil, her, it's Phyllis, right? Phil is short for Phyllis? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Fuller asks if she has if she has any emotional problems. Yeah, because you know these women, do they have any emotional problems? Ah, the seventies. <laughs> Did she stick her head in an oven? <laughs> what? Exactly. What? Really? You know, women do that if they're crazy. What? According to 1950s, you know, uh, lore and everything. Uh, he looks at a picture of Chris and asks, who's she seen besides Chris Har- Harrington? Uh, they both say no one. Fuller asks if anyone saw her this morning. They say no, that all the other girls have been gone home for the holidays. He asks for their phone numbers. Downstairs, the phone guy is finishing up the tap. He says that when the phone rings here, it'll ring at the station too. At the same time, he'll be at the phone company checking on the location for the source of the call. He then asks if there's another phone in the house. Jess says that Mrs. Mack has a line, uh, but it's another number. There haven't been any calls on that phone. The maintenance guy says, you're going to have to keep the guy on the line as long as possible. Fuller then takes the girls to the window and shows them a car outside. He goes, a cop is watching the house. Uh, You two have nothing to worry about. Phil says, yeah, sure. And I like how he kind of smirks, you know, because I think he likes, you know, Phil's sort of attitude. Yeah, there's a there's a good rapport there. Good humor, you know. Yeah. Outside, Fuller and the phone guy leave the house and uh, get in their police car. We see the other cop wave at them as they walk by. As Fuller drives by, we see Peter watching from behind a tree, looking very creepy. Yep. Back in the house, Phil is crying and hugging Jess. She goes, I just know Claire is dead. I can feel it. Jess tries to reassure her. Phil says she's exhausted. She's been taking cold medicine and it knocks her out. She asks Jess if it'll be okay if she goes to bed. Jess says, of course, get some rest. Phil goes upstairs. Jess says she'll let her know if there's any news. The camera pans over ominously to the phone. Cut to the guy at the phone company. He's checking the lines and uh, telling someone on the other end he just needs 10 more minutes to set up. Then it reminds the person that the girls uh, have to keep the, the guy on the line as long as possible. Back at the police. Uh, oh, sorry, I meant to ask you earlier if you recognized the phone company guy. I did His name is, uh, not. I wrote it down. His name is Bill Graham. That's the character's name. Okay. So he played the uh, the Christmas tree salesman in A Christmas Story. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, that's awesome. That's a great connection. Fun fact. Yeah, good good connection, buddy. Zach Schaefer, Manscaper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach Schaefer believes Peter is the killer. <laughs> Back at the police station. We find out he was talking to the other detective. Uh, I think that guy was like McNamara or something. It doesn't matter. The, the laughing one. Yeah. Uh, the, that detective says they're all set up. He's telling Fuller that. Uh, there are two phones in Fuller's desk. The detective says that when the house phone rings, this one will too. But the transmitter's been removed, so they won't be able to hear you on the other line. In the attic, Claire's dead body is holding a doll, and there's a hand rocking the chair she's sitting in. The killer is sobbing and saying a lullaby. Downstairs, Jess is sitting by the fireplace looking at the phone. At the police station, Fuller is looking at the phone waiting. Cut back to Jess by the phone. Upstairs, the killer comes down from the attic. He slowly makes his way into Barb's room and stands over her while she sleeps. Downstairs, Jess hears Barb gasp and scream and runs up to help her. In the room, Barb is having an asthma attack. Jess gives her an inhaler and Barb calms down. She says she had a nightmare. 
she dreamed a stranger was coming in her room. It must have startled her and giving her asthma. We see from the killer's POV he's in the doorway watching them. He walks away as Jess and Barb hear Christmas carolers outside. Barb passes back out and Jess turns out the light. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello. La, la, la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Jess goes downstairs and opens the front door to listen to the carolers. Ah, remember Christmas carolers? I don't, because I've never fucking seen them outside of movies in my entire life. Like, I've never actually seen actual, real Christmas carolers before. Did you ever have those uh, people in high school come in your classroom and sing? Nope. Nope. The choral class. Today it's your birthday. Get the fuck out of here. Nope. Nope, we didn't have anything like that. Have have you ever seen Christmas carolers before? Like like come to your front door? No, but uh, no, not to your front door. Yeah, no. That I think that stopped in the seventies, probably right. Yeah. We wish you a merry. <laughs> exactly. Nowadays, you get hit in the face with something. Yeah. Hark the hair lip angel sing. <laughs> Have you ever heard that song? <laughs> the hark the hair lip angel? No. <laughs> that sounds horrible. 
there was a guy I forget his name he's like kind of a doctor demento he did a oh. bunch of songs like that and they they did one where like it's at an insane asylum and all the people are like do you hear what i hear <laughs> that's funny yeah uh, that'd be a good one for our session nine episode do it david David Irons. David Irons. Go. Author of Seven Winters Alone, Podcasting After Darks, presents Seven Winters Alone. If you haven't checked it out, it's on Amazon. Bada bing. If you buy it, we'll sign it. That's right. Send it to us. Pay for the postage. Yeah. We'll, and we'll, we'll send it back. Pay for the postage. Send it back. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Or we'll just sign a piece of paper. <laughs> just send that to you. Send it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not joking. I know. I know. I'm not either. <laughs> All of the above. I'm not joking. <laughs> uh, so she's looking at the Christmas carolers. Uh, while they're singing, the killer goes back into Barb's room and takes a glass unicorn head off the mantle. It has a long horn on it. He stands over Barb and whispers, Agnes, it's me, Billy. Don't tell them what we did, Agnes. He holds the glass unicorn up over his head. When Barb wakes up again, she sees him standing over her and gasps as he hits her with it, stabs her with it. The killer stabs her repeatedly with the, the horn as the kids downstairs sing and Jess watches. I like that juxtaposition. Yeah, me too. Just then a lady comes up to the carolers and tells them all to get in the car and go home. Uh, a girl was found murdered in the park earlier. As the lady, uh, as the lady tells Jess about it, her phone starts ringing. Uh, we see it's ringing in the police station too, and we see the phone guy is ready, like ready to go. Did did Jess give money to the caroler? Yeah, thing? she tipped the 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 caroler lady. Yeah, yeah. So if someone shows up at my house, I'm like, be like, that's pressure. Yeah, you have to give them money. Yeah, I didn't Come know that either. Now. I have no clue what the fuck the etiquette of carolers are. I went on a boat ride earlier this evening, a, a holiday boat ride. And you didn't tip anybody? No, the, 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 they, they didn't do anything. They didn't, like, play music. They didn't, like, narrate as we're going around the, the harbor or whatever. And then the boat docks, and the, like, guy has a bucket in his hand as we're getting off for tips. And I'm like, why? For what? <laughs> I wanted to be anything. like uh, I wanted to be like uh, Luther in The Warriors and be like, for what? <laughs> hey, what about the money you owe? For what? <laughs> and throw a Snickers bar at him or something. Uh, actually, what, that, what do you owe? You don't owe someone just because they drove the boat around. You paid $55 to get on this thing. You know what's sad? A Snickers bar is probably more expensive than giving them a buck, right? Yeah, come on. <laughs> that would actually probably be a better tip than a dollar. You don't have to tip every single thing. You know who I tip sometimes? I tip the people at Starbucks because I'm like, you're working your ass off. You, you know, you're making the coffee. Something's in the water because I just edited an episode of Cartwright last week where Adam went on a giant tangent about tipping as well. Are you guys like fucking Mr. Pink from from Reservoir Dogs or something? <laughs> no, like, what Adam, is going on? I just I, I totally appreciate people working hard, but if you're just doing your your basic job, yeah, that you're getting paid for already, yeah, yeah. So my what I told Adam is I I, I like to tip uh, the bud tenders like are uh, up here at the weed store because like I get recommendations from them and everything but it's not a mandatory thing like they make a like you know minimum wage or whatever they make you know normal it's not like a 
um, waiters who make less than yeah. minimum wage. So yeah. for in, so in that case, you know, I'm tipping just straight up as a tip. Like I'm saying, hey, thank you for helping me find some good weed. Here's like a buck or two. And you, because like if I have 40 bucks on me, it comes out to like 38 bucks. I'll just here, just take the rest, you know, just keep the rest. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I think a tip should be, you did something because I've also left the weed store without giving them a tip, you know, but it's just like, yeah. it, it should just be there. If you really did something that deserves it, play some fucking music when you fucking drive the boat around. Right. Yeah. I keep, yeah. Or narrate or something. Yeah. Play some music. Yeah. The guy's like, it, the guy, you know what the guy says? He goes, if you want to know who lives in these houses, ask me and I'll tell you. And if, if I don't know who it is, I'll make, so, I'll make up a name. And I'm like, okay, so we go by one house. He's like, you know who lives there? I go, who? He goes, the guy who owns Clean Green or whatever. I'm like, what the hell? Or Simple Green. And I'm like, the cleaning product? He goes, yep. I'm like, wow. Yay. I, I bet Bodie was just floored. <laughs> <laughs> and also too if he told me keanu reeves lived there i'd be like i don't care yeah right it's like i care just as much as i don't i never cared about seeing the houses where celebrities live that doesn't interest me in the slightest i was just saying to somebody the other day because um, they were like going off about how cool keanu reeves is and that's great um if he's a nice guy that's awesome i said you do realize it's his job like he's an actor it, that's a job. It's a job. It's just a job. Yeah. He just, it's a cool job and he gets to do really cool things, but it's just a job. Just like a job. that's all it is. Don't, don't idealize these people. They're just doing their job. It, and, and if there are cool people on top of that, that's awesome. But if they're a dick, that has nothing to do with the performance. You like them in, yeah. you know, agreed. I completely agree. They're just people, but let's not idealize them. Like, oh my gosh. Where does Sandra Bullock live? Does it really matter? No, because you're never going to, you're not getting, by the way, they don't live in any of those houses anyways. No. And yeah. And who cares? They all fucking, you know where they live? They live up fuck here in Oregon. I think like, um, like, uh, Sam Elliott has a house up here and that's a dude. I idealize. Of course. (laughs) Uh, And I think Bruce Campbell has a house up here somewhere too. Bruce Campbell's lived up there forever. Okay. And up here in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. He actually made a documentary where he's like, I live up in Oregon, so I don't get bothered by you wahoos or something like like that. My name is Bruce. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So the phone is ringing. Uh, Jess answers the phone, and it's the killer screaming, no, Billy, no, and other things, you know, know, other things that the person says and, you know, whatever. But one of the things they said, they they do say is, just like having a warrant removed, which is what Peter said earlier. Now, it could be either way it could be peter or it could be someone that heard it the, the crazy the you know the killer upstairs overheard what peter said or it is peter it is peter <laughs> do it peter jess says oh my god and the caller hangs up uh, and then jess hangs up then the phone immediately rings again and it's fuller he says there wasn't enough time she has to keep him on the line longer Fuller asks, when you said, oh, my God, did you recognize something? She says, no, but that's a lie. You can tell that's a lie. As as she's on the phone, the killer is on the stairs looking at her. Fuller asks who the guy was that was leaving the house when they arrived. She said it was her boyfriend, Peter. They were having a fight. Just then, Fuller hears commotion in the bullpen and said he'll have to call her back. 
He goes to see what the commotion is. Apparently, one of the cops got shot in the ass with birdshot while searching for the killer on some, you know, you know, good old boy hillbilly's property. Uh, this old guy, this old hillbilly says, next time you're going to get the whole gun right up your ass sideways. Of course, the one detective's trying not to laugh his ass off. Uh, and Fuller looks at the other detective and is like, uh, if you laugh, I'll bust you to Boy Scout. And he's kind of like holding it in. Yeah, I love that. But if you guys and gals, if you don't know what birdshot is, um, it, it's something. It's what you load into uh, a shotgun, but it's like a lower caliber uh, pellets that can kill birds. To, obviously, they kill birds, but they don't do like a crazy amount of damage. So the hop getting shot in the ass with it, those pellets are just embedded in in like the skin and the meat. They're not. They didn't do like any severe damage. But that's what birdshot is versus buckshot. Buckshot is bigger pellets, and that's what you use to take down bigger things like you know bucks and deers and things. You remember uh, Tony Banderman? I told you about the guy who's like. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> How can I forget? First off, lead with, remember the beep, beep guy? Then I'll know who you're talking about. There you go. Yeah. Beep, beep guy. I remember he he would be like, hey, hey, Zach, you know, you know what this is? And he'd show me on his arm. He'd like stretch the skin out on his arm. He goes, I shot myself with a BB gun. That's a BB under my skin. I'm like, why, dude? Because, because I could. I'm like, cool. And, and, now, and then it like got like, it just like basically got buried there essentially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point. <laughs> But uh, um, I think birdshot is probably more like BBs, just a a a, a whole slug of B, you know, a whole shell of BBs, casing of BBs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not a gun guy, so I don't really know that much. But yeah, if you if you if you kill innocent, harmless birds, don't do it. That's why don't. When I was I was a kid, I shot a bird once with a BB. Um, and it was like flapping around on the ground and it made me just so sick to my stomach, you know, and I look back, I'm like, well, at least I'm not a serial killer. Right. But I look back now and I just, I still get like sick to my stomach about it. And I just, I've never hurt another animal after that ever again. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. I know. I, I, it's one of the, I'm not proud of it at all. My cat brought in a bird once and the bird was still alive. And mm. so it was laying there on the ground with like blood coming out of its neck. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, fucking stomp it and put it out of its fucking misery. My stepdad did that once to a bird. And I was like, I'm not stomping on it. Yeah. So I'm like, you cut its head off, right? That's what you do. It like immediately kills it. So I went and got a knife and I put the knife down on its neck and, and it's I like just screaming. pushed down oh, God. thinking it would snap it. Oh. And instead it just it oh. like folded it. Oh, and it's flapping around more. And I'm like, oh God, I started, I have seven had just come out with Brad Pitt. So I'm like, oh God. And I'm cutting this thing with the serrated blade. And I'm just like, <laughs> you're like, you're like crying and screaming. And... I was dude. I was totally crying. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Bird. I'm sorry. I'm trying to help you. Meanwhile, my cat's, my cat's looking at me like you dumb shit. I could have done that for free. Yeah, I could have fucking ripped his throat out for free, you moron. Yeah, I'm just like, ah, oh, and I buried it in my backyard. <laughs> Sobbing and weeping. I did, dude. Along, we had, like, next to the two dogs we buried in the backyard <laughs> and cats and shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. That's that's some rough shit, bro. <laughs> so, anyways. Yeah. Anyway, your pain and... Um, yeah. uh, back at the house, uh, just... <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to recover from that. Zach Schaefer, <laughs> bird killer. G-g-g-g. Yeah, Corey, Corey too. Stevenson, but... Bird murderer. G-g-g-g. 
Back at the house, Jess wakes up Phil and is talking to her. Phil says, if you think it was Peter, why didn't you tell the police? Jess says, because it's, she's not sure. Phil says she can't get any sleep. What is it they, they were yelling about? Jess said Barb had an asthma attack. And they're kind of like walking through the house, uh, the second story. And the whole time, the killer is watching them through a crack in the door. Just something dawned on me, too, by the way. Phil. When he was when they were at the uh, searching for the little girl and they're out in the cold and he had his arm around. Phil's a girl. So oh, sorry. Sorry. Not Phil. Sorry. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Chris. Chris. Sorry. <laughs> when, when we're at the uh, Chris Mitch, Phil. Yeah. Um, when we're at the at, at the at the search scene earlier with the 13 year old for the 13 year old and he has his arm around Jess. He's like, like totally digging in on her arm, like massaging her shoulder. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. I'm like, dude, you're really massaging the soul, massaging the shoulder. You're really massaging the shoulder of your quote unquote friend. This is college, though. Yeah, so. it's college. He's like, well, hooking up. Yeah, hooking up. Hooking up. <laughs> Fern. <laughs> <laughs> what up? <laughs> Our buddy Fern. Uh, Jess keeps talking and says that the person on the phone repeated what Peter said to her earlier. Could it be a coincidence? Now they're walking down the stairs. Phil says she really didn't think it's Peter. <clears throat> Jess says he's usually very gentle, but she's getting scared. Phil checks to see if the cop is still outside. She opens the window and you can see his car is you can see his car is there, but it's dark inside the car. The phone rings again uh, at the house and the police station. Jess and Fuller both pick it up at the same time. It's Peter and he says, "Oh God, please help me!" and starts crying. Jess says, "Don't cry. We can straighten things out." We see the phone guy listening and calls Fuller to ask if he should trace this one. Fuller says, yeah, give it a try. Back on the phone, Peter is saying, we can't kill the baby. Please, Jess. Jess says, don't do this. <laughs> Just don't do this. Don't be, yeah. don't be like <laughs> Don't this. make an ass out of yourself. This is the guy who wants to get back together with the girl who's already written him off. Got a uh, little bit of advice to all of our young <clears throat> male listeners listening to this episode. Don't be Peter. Don't be Peter. It because is. once it's done, it's done. Yeah. You just, you can't go back. It's You it, can't go back. It's not and a good we've look. We've all done it. We've all yeah. gone back thinking, oh, I can win him back over. Nope, it don't happen. Nope. It won't happen. And, and crying, we can't kill the baby, please, Jess, is not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good call. <laughs> no. Uh, so she, she eventually asks where he is, and he hangs up. We see I'm the, telling you, the, he's the dude who did it. We see the phone guy call Fuller and says uh, the calls aren't long enough. So, again, to your point, they weren't able to trace this one because if Zach's right, they would have traced it to the upstairs uh, uh, thing. I, again, I still am the other way, but yours completely lines up. It, it does. And, and the person who – the cop in the car, when we find out what happens to him later – and Peter was outside. That's right. Mm-hmm. Fuller call mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuller calls Jesk and Fuller calls Jess and asks what that was all about. What did he mean about killing the baby? Jess says it's important <laughs> he says, Jess, it's important that you tell me. Jess says, I'm pregnant. I told him I didn't want to keep the baby. 
Fuller asks when she told him. It was earlier today, and he's like, "You sure it wasn't last night?" You know, he, he thinks he, you know, Fuller thinks that it is Peter. Um, he goes, "We can't kill the baby. That's a strange way of putting it." Uh, Jess says, "He's an artist. He's very high strung." And I'm like, "I think it's more like he's sensitive." You know, I think that's the word yeah. for it. I love that though. He goes, "Jess, are you telling me the truth? I don't want it to be Peter, but if it is, he needs help. The sooner, the better." Now think back. Was Peter with you any of the times that you got one of these calls? She goes, yes. He was here tonight when the first call came. It couldn't be Peter, but it could have been if he was upstairs already, like you were saying. Yep. Fuller says, well, he's obviously upset about something. I would like to talk to him. Can you tell me where I might reach him? Jess says when he's upset, he goes to the recital hall at the music conservatory and plays piano. Fuller reminds Jess that if she gets any more calls, she's going to have to keep them on the line longer. She's not giving them enough time to trace the call. She says she's trying, but the calls upset her. She eventually agrees and hangs up the phone. Phil smiles and says, I knew it couldn't be Peter. Back at the police precinct, Fuller and the other detective are deciding where to send the search party next. Fuller says to send them house to house. He walks back to his desk and sits down. In the sorority house kitchen, Phil is yelling to Jess if she wants one or two aspirins. She's by the kitchen window. Just then we see a guy's face in it. Jess is in the next room and hears Phil scream. She runs into the kitchen and now two men are yelling at them to open the back door. Jess kind of figures out that they're part of the search party and opens the door. There are two goobers with guns is what I put. It reminded me of Intruder, the two police the two, detectives. Yeah, the two dumb, goofy police detectives. Shout out to Intruder, by the way. <laughs> Shout out Thanks. to Intruder. Thanks, Crystal. I, I hope you're enjoying this episode, too. Beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> they ask if the two ladies have seen anything peculiar tonight. I love Phil goes, not until you two got here. They say they're they say they are helping the police look for the little girl's killer. They tell uh, the tall one says, "Keep your doors and windows locked, and you'll be safe." Uh, the guys kind of keep talking to him as they keep trying to close the door, you know. And you can tell that the the guys are older and kind of goofy, and they're just getting jollies off of like seeing college girls and sort of talking to college girls, and they're they're kind of weird themselves. Um, Are you guys five be- beta kappa? <laughs> you mega moose? What's going on here? Yeah, they're totally like weirdos, man. You know, and uh, but the girls kind of keep trying to close the door and everything, and they eventually do close it. And uh, once the once they do, you can see the uh, the guys kind of chuckle on the other side, like hey, yeah. we got those girls type of thing. Um, Jess stops Phil from laughing and says, do you realize this is the only door in the house that's locked? And they kind of look at each other. And then that was the back door, kitchen door. And yeah, this is back in the day in one of those towns where you don't lock any of the windows or doors, basically. Well, don't they do that in Canada, guys? Guys? Canadian friends? Guys? guys don't you leave all your doors unlocked? Hey, eh? Hey? You, you know they're so pissed off now. They're like, <laughs> fuck you, Americans. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Trust me, we are... Got plenty of things to make fun of in our country. Of course. Specifically us. <laughs> Specifically. I'm Zach and I'm Corey. Make fun of us. <laughs> At the police station, Fuller asks Nash to get the dean of admissions on the phone. He says he wants all the records on Peter Smithy, music student, and have a car meet him out front. 
So that's how you pronounce the, I always just thought it was a different way of spelling Smith, S-M-Y-T-H-E, but uh, it's, you pronounce it Smithy, I guess. I would have said Smythe. Smythe. Interesting. Okay. Guys and gals, let us know <laughs> what it is. <laughs> you, what is it? Uh, you say potato, I say fuck you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was good. At- or tomato. Who cares? At the house, Phil is on the second floor locking a window when she sees Barb's door close. She walks over to it and knocks. She doesn't hear anything, so she goes in. She slowly opens the door and moves into the room. As she does, she says, Barb, are you awake? Then, she, then as she's like fully through the door frame, the killer says, Agnes, and she looks to the left, basically right behind the door, essentially like, you know what, like a few inches to where she's standing. She looks left in surprise, and the door slams shut. That's cool. So creepy. So creepy. At the school, Fuller walks into the recital hall and sees the smashed up piano. Downstairs at the house, Jess is locking up the windows and doors. She calls upstairs for Phil, but gets no reply. We see the killer use the phone in Mrs. Mack's room. You know it's her room because she got a picture of her and her sister, and they look like they were like vaudeville dancers or something. Yeah. Do you want to see our show? Uh, no. Well, we're going to do it anyway. Hello, boys. Hello, boys. (laughs) Open up your wind gates and show me what you got. Uh, San Francisco's coming and it's really hot. No. Who did you see in the car that said that to you guys? Rip Rip Taylor. Rip Rip Taylor. Taylor. Uh, I was driving down uh, Hollywood Boulevard, I think, and with my buddy Jamal. And it was and, when you uh, came to visit, right? When before you ever moved to LA, it was that yeah. time you came down to visit. Yeah, and he pulls up in a white convertible, and he's <laughs> like, "Hello, boys!" And he throws <laughs> confetti in the air and drives off. I'm like, "What the fuck?" Welcome to LA, <laughs> Rip Taylor. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Hello, boys. <laughs> Hello, boys. I love it. I love it. It's one of my favorite stories. I will literally sometimes just randomly be doing something in my house, like like cleaning or something, and I'll just randomly go, "Hello, boys," and I just picture you like being like, "What?" <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Oh my god, Rip Taylor. So, uh, so she gets uh, the phone rings. She picks it up. It's the killer on the phone saying all kinds of obscenities to her, you know, the pig stuff. Frickin' frackin' fucking tacka fucka baka. He's just he's in full on maniac mode at this point. Uh, while this is happening, the phone guy is scrambling to find the source. Back in the conservatory, Fuller's looking at the smashed piano when another cop comes up to him and says, The guy is on the phone again. The phone guy finally finds the source of the call and goes running back. Fuller and the other cop run to the police cruiser parked outside the conservatory, and we can hear over, like, the the radio. The call's coming in over the radio. We can hear, Billy, now, Agnes, where's Agnes? So they somehow, that's another thing that I don't think they had the technology for, but they somehow routed the phone to the car, you know what I mean? But you just, yeah. it's fine. You, I just kind of rolled past that a little bit. They can do it now. Yeah, there you go. Back at the house, Jess is still on the phone. She looks very upset. Then the killer finally hangs up the phone in Mrs. Mack's room. In the car, Fuller gets a call from Nash. He says the phone company has the trace. It's 6 Belmont Street. Fuller says, for Christ's sake, Nash, you got it wrong. 
That's where the calls are going into. Nash says, that's where they're coming from too, sir. Fuller says, oh shit, when he realizes it's the other line. Fuller radios the cop stationed outside the house but gets no reply. The camera kind of pans up and we see his throat is slit. Fuller then radios Nash back and says, I want you to call that girl. Nash, be calm. Don't tell her the guy is in the house. Just tell her to put the phone down and walk straight out the front door. I'll be there in five minutes. And Nash, if you blow this, I will kill you. They drive off. Jesus. At the house, Jess is calling for Phil from the bottom of the stairs. The phone rings again and she answers it. It's Nash. He says, this is Sergeant Nash. Are you the only one in the house? Well, for, I, I, first she's like, she picks up and he's like, who is this? He's it's like, Nash, you're such an asshole, you know? He doesn't handle this very well. No, and he should be killed by Fuller. Killed? So hard. <laughs> he goes, this is Sergeant Nash. Are you the only one in the house? Jess says, no, Phil and Barbara upstairs asleep. Nash says, all right. Now I want you to do exactly what I tell you without asking any questions, okay? Just put the phone back on the hook, walk to the front door, and leave the house. Jess looks shocked. She goes, what's wrong? Nash is like, please, Mrs. Bradford, please, just do as I tell you. She says, okay, and that she'll go get Phil and Barb. Nash just goes, no, don't do that, Jess. Jess, the caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. And yeah, dude, like, I feel like a lot of horror movies, like, I don't know if this started it or if it was sort of like a trope at the time, but it's not something we really see anymore. But there was a glut of, you know, the killers in the house at around this time and after. Well, I, yeah, uh, um, blank. A strip, a stranger in the house, yeah. you know, in the first, fi- the, the first 15 minutes of that movie are, are the best part of that movie when Carol Kane is, you know, discovering that the, and then they realizes the kids are murdered upstairs. That is so effectively done. The fact that this, that came out after this, this is the one that did it. This started it. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, there may be another one, but as far as I know, this is the one. Yeah. Jess drops the phone down and looks up the stairs. You can hear Nash yelling, don't go upstairs. She lets the phone dangle there and walks to the front door. Before she leaves, she yells for Barb and Phil, but gets no reply. She keeps yelling, please answer me, please. Like, she's really frantic. It would have been funny if Nash was like, get back here, you bitch. And then everybody (laughs) in the station was like, what did you just say? What's what? (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, you know. Yeah. She grabs a fire poker from the fireplace and makes her way upstairs. Jess slowly wakes Jess slowly makes her way to Barb's closed door and calls for her. She tries to open the door, but something is keeping it closed. She pushes harder and it opens and she falls into the room. So she kind of like falls on, on her hands and knees. Jess sees the bloody bodies of Barb and Phil in bed. While on her hands and knees in the door frame, she hears Agnes, it's me, Billy, coming from behind the door. She looks up and sees an eyeball through the door hinge, that gap. So creepy. He says, Agnes, don't tell what we did. She kind of gets up quickly 
and smashes the door into him while also, I think, kind of hitting his hand with the poker a little bit. She quickly runs down the stairs. She tries for the front door, but it won't open. And that was something they sort of tried to build up earlier. But I think what you said is correct. I think it would have done, they would have done it more effectively later, you know, set set it up a little bit that the, the door sticks and she can't sort of get yeah. it open. Yeah. Uh, she hears a cr- they, they didn't do it enough. They just mentioned it once. They should have done it more. Exactly. Yeah. She hears a crash from upstairs and sees the killer running down the stairs. Jess tries to run by. Yeah. Jess tries to run by the stairs, but he grabs her by the hair, pulling her down. Jess recovers and runs for the basement and shuts the door. We can hear the killer kicking and screaming on the other end of the door as she locks it. He kind of like goes wild on the door. All of a sudden, he just stops and he walks away from the door and we hear the front door open and then slam closed. Dude, this scene was fucking awesome because it's yeah. so fast, it's so kinetic. You have no you have no time to think and you know as awesome as it is that Jason walks slowly to kill you, it's fucking equally as freaky to have someone run at you full fucking speed and you have to try to run past them and this is just shot so well that you never see the killer's face or anything like that and she runs and he yanks her with the hair this scene is just it's intense but it's also like a minute long it's so fast yeah i i prefer this 10 times over the killer walking through the woods and suddenly just showing up out of nowhere In, in in phantasm one when michael is walking through the mausoleum and he sees in the tall man walks slowly into view slowly and sees him and they're staring at each other. And Michael's like, uh, I, uh, and then suddenly the tall man just lunges at him and starts running after him. That's that shit terrified me for the longest time because you don't expect the killer to run after you. No. You expect the killer to suddenly just use his supernatural powers or whatever and show up in another scene that's terrifying more terrifying than anything else that's real terror it's not supernatural terror and as much as i love you know slow zombies i also love fast zombies because i do believe that their desire for my brains will will definitely outrun me you know what i mean like i'm not gonna outrun those fast zombies and they just they're scary as shit you know yeah to the point of the whole like walking slow thing. I mean, they even make fun of that in behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. Yeah. Cause it's hilarious. He, he has to do like cardio. He's like, look, when they're looking at you, you gotta be walking. But then like <laughs> when, when they're not looking at you, you gotta fucking run, you know, and you yeah. gotta increase your cardio. That's a great movie, by the way, if you guys and gals haven't seen it, it's really, it's, it's another one where they do a good job of walking the line between humor and then actual scary shit. That's probably in my opinion, the best uh, horror homage parody movie yeah, out there. Yeah. And it's very underrated. Yeah. The rise of Leslie Vernon, because unlike movies like scary movie or something, that's just straight up. That's just a straight up parody. This is like behind the mask rise of Leslie Vernon. It's a, it's a comedy horror or horror comedy. Yep. It's not a, it's, it's, uh, it's like the, the waiting for Guffman or best in show of horror films. And he's got a cool mask in it. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. 
uh, and that's why I liked when Danny Boyle was like, "These are not zombies." When in twenty yeah. when twenty eight days yeah. uh, later came, first came out, and people were like, "Oh, come on, just call it." No, they're not, they're not. because they were like genetically, it, it's they're not zombies. Yeah, yeah, and it's I love twenty eight days later, and I I love twenty eight weeks later. I thought that was a fantastic uh, I actually sequel. like twenty eight weeks later more than uh, twenty eight days later. Yeah, it's fucking fun, man. It's a fun yeah. fucking. Jeremy movie. Renner is a badass in that movie. I love me some Jeremy Renner. And his de- his death sucks. I know that was a. Spoiler alert, that was a pretty rough death. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But he went out like a fucking hero. Yeah. Yeah. He sure did. And then he made a pop album afterwards. <laughs> so Jess is now in the basement. She walks down further into the basement. It's as cluttered as the attic. Uh, and there are some windows there. We see a shot of the two cop cars driving through the city. In the basement, Jess is looking around while holding the fire poker. She hears a muffled voice from outside. She walks over to the window and sees the shape of a man looking in, but can't see who it is because the windows are frosted. It kind of reminds me of One Dark Night when he's like outside the window, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Making those but like big motions, you know? It, it, you know, it reminds me of someone actually doing that in my window one night and I was home alone. Was this uh, when you were in Michigan, or was this when this you were— This is in Michigan. Okay. okay. Uh, and, then, and then someone hopping my fence and looking at me in the sliding door in California, I saw their face directly, Ooh. and there was a green awning, so he looked green coming the light coming down on him. But, yeah, this was in Michigan. Someone—I think it was a guy my mom was dating. Oh, God. Uh, at the time. And, but, but Or uh, someone she broke up with. Sure. But he was, like, trying to get in the house, yeah. jiggling the, the windows or whatever, and I was like— yeah, good times. Woo! <laughs> Personal trauma from Zach. I'm Zach Schaefer, and this has been my Personal Trauma Corner every episode. Good <laughs> Oh, man. All right, so uh, the shattery person walks to another window and sort of scrapes off the frost. It's Peter. He says, Jess, are you all right? Are you in there? Another thing to your point, um, how does he know to look in the basement for her? And why would he be? Why would he yep. be worried about her to look in the basement? Yep. But there's no reason. He doesn't know what's going on. Jess. Yep. Jess moves back into the shadows as Peter kicks in the window. And why would he do that? And hops down inside the basement. He calls out for Jess. He looks around, but finally sees her in the corner holding the poker. He walks over to her and asks her why she didn't answer and what all the yelling was about. And then he gets closer to her. Outside, Fuller and the other cops pull up within their cars. Fuller sees the dead officer in the car, then hears a scream from inside the house and goes running. Inside, Fuller and the other cops break down the basement door and find Peter dead on top of Jess, and she's alive. We get a slight time lapse to later in the night, and Jess is asleep in her bed. Fuller, the doctor, Chris, and Mr. Harrison are in the room. Fuller says, I knew it. I knew in my gut it was that kid. Chris says, why would Peter start killing people? Fuller says, I don't know. He must have made a call after each murder. Chris says, it's hard to believe Jess would kill anybody, much less Peter. The doctor says, she's under. Fuller asks how long before he can ask her some questions. The doc says she'll be out for about four hours, then pretty groggy after that. We find out her parents will be arriving in a few hours. Doc says he'll stay with her till then. Chris asks if anyone has notified Phil's boyfriend, Patrick. Fuller kind of like looks down, you know, and Peter and Chris is like, it's okay, I'll do it, you know. 
Um, just then, a deputy pops in and says they're going to have to take the bodies to another morgue. The hospital doesn't have the their hospital doesn't have the facilities to handle this many at one time. Force asks, says okay and notify the families for identification. We hear reporters downstairs. Fuller tells the deputy to get them out of there. He'll talk he'll talk to them down at the station. Fuller tells everyone to go downstairs so Jess can get some rest. Um, it's a crime scene, guys, but okay. Yeah. He goes downstairs to talk to them and sort of he's so he's already left the room and the doc, Mr. Harrison, and Chris are still there. Mr. Harrison sort of stands up and then he collapses back into his chair. The doc and Chris sort of run to his aid. The doc says this he's in shock. He tells Chris to help him get him downstairs. Mr. Harrison needs to get to the hospital. And this is something I like because this plays off the fact that he wasn't eating. He's clearly like stressed out. But I liked, you know, I like that Mr. Harrison was kind of like keeping his composure the whole time, but clearly being eaten alive in the inside of worry and rightfully so, of course. Yeah, we don't. We still don't. They still don't know what happened to his daughter. Yeah, she's still missing. She's right upstairs, but they have no fucking clue. They because they haven't searched the house. Exactly. Apparently, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wild, bro. Yeah, we hear Fuller and Nash talking. They start clearing everyone out of the house. Like this is where I noted, but it's a crime scene. I mean, and they're going to be there for leaves. days. They're going to yeah. be there for days, and everybody leaves. Yeah. Because the doc was um, the doc was going to stay with her, but when Mr. Harrison collapsed, he you know that's the doc you know, and Chris kind of carried Mr. Harrison down. But I do like how you hear uh, <laughs> you hear fucking Nash go, Jesus, what's the matter with that guy? <laughs> you know? And yeah, that's hilarious. The to- the the doc tells Nash to get a car uh, to take him to the hospital. And then everyone is now out of the house, and it's quiet with Jess sleeping in her bed because we even saw like a deputy like turn off the light in her room. The camera pans over from her room and passes by Barb and Claire's room and up to the attic door. We hear noises coming from the attic. Then the attic opens and we hear, Agnes, it's me, Billy. The camera focuses on Mrs. Mack hanging there in the attic. Then it kind of focuses on Claire in the chair. Then it pulls back to reveal the fact that you can see Claire in the attic window from outside the house. Like, you can see her if anyone fucking just looked up. Yeah. Uh, There's a cop standing guard outside the house, and the phone starts ringing as the credits roll and the wind blows. The end. Now, so if you take the movie as the movie— it's it's clearly saying it's not Peter, but you are like, look, the whole movie up until this very last moment is saying that it is Peter is the killer. And you're saying that this was the mistake at the end. Right. To like have this. I, I guess. I mean, part of me's like. Part of me's wondering if it's bad writing that they didn't know that they that they didn't want that they wanted it wanted to leave it open ended with the intention of making a sequel possibly even though sequels were really not a thing yeah. yet they really weren't um a little ambiguous yeah leaving it a little ambiguous i'll, I'll give it that like not bad writing per se just more like not as tight as I would have liked it. I would have liked there to be a little bit more, a little bit, 
like that last scene just felt tacked on to me on one hand and on the other hand i'm like okay they they want you to still speculate who else is in the attic or is this in the imagination of 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 uh, jess perhaps yeah. you know is she having a fever dream you know is she gonna wake up or something like that i will say this every time i watch this movie I do it with the knowledge that this ending is there. And a lot of times I'll say I don't care about the movie that could have been. I want to talk about what we see. Um, But the discussion, everything you brought to my attention, I never watched it realizing that I do think they did a great job of making it seem like Peter is the killer. I mean, everything lines up. Everything you pointed out, I kind of didn't really notice before because every time I watched it, I watched it under the assumption that it that it was a more of a red herring, but I think it was a bit tighter, like you're saying that it was Peter. Like you know what I mean? Like I think I think all of it really does line up. Um, and now I'm I mean I still in my guts you know I'm still going with it you know because of the ending just because of the ending. But if you cut that ending out at the very end, I mean hell you could even just cut it out and not have any any dialogue and just see the bodies up there. And I think it would have been still just as effective, but yeah, you're right. It probably would have been, it would have been much more of a concrete ending, you know? And, and yeah. And you know, they clearly added the voices and everything. Now, the only thing they did add was you did see the, 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 the catch, the door to the attic kind of pop open. But if you cut that out and you cut out any of the voices at the end, I think you st- still could have had an effective ending because Claire would have body would have still been in the attic and everything. And you would have been, it would have been more of a clear cut definitive ending to it. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen everybody clear out. She's still in bed and the camera pans the camera that you got that shot of the cop outside watching the house. And then the camera slowly pans up from where he is to the window and showing that she's still that the body's still there. And maybe you hear the phone ring and then that's it. No, I th- I actually like that doing a reverse, like instead of because the camera pans from the window sort of outwards. And if you pan up from the cop to the window. Yeah, I think that would have been pretty effective as well. Now, one of the, the things that I love about the movie, though, that I personally love and it's a Corey yeah. thing. I do love the fact that or at least in my head, that the killer had no connection to them. He was just like some sort of maniac, you know? But ultimately, I think it all still would work, and I would still love it just as much if it was definitively Peter, because, like, it's the... It's Claire's body up there. Like, all the times they cut back to it with her with the fucking bag over her head, that's the shit that just makes my fucking skin crawl every time I see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I mean... There's a lot. I just want to say that, and that wouldn't have... That would not have been undercut. The 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 effectiveness of that would not be undercut if it was Peter. You know, like none of my love for this movie probably wouldn't change. You know, no, I agree. I, I agree. I feel like it, it wouldn't increase my love for this movie if they did it that way. I, I would still, because I, I really enjoy this movie a lot. Yeah. Uh, outside of the few scenes that I feel drag it down at nope, times, Margot mostly. I, yeah. No offense. Rest in peace. Yeah. Cut those scenes out, and you got a tighter, much tighter movie. It's it ends up being ninety minutes instead of like ninety four minutes. Yeah, because it's it's an hour and thirty seven minutes. I think you yeah. could cut seven minutes of of Margot Kidder out. I mean, as, as much as I love her, I, I don't feel like she adds. She takes away from the movie a little bit in, in some of the scenes, as we mentioned earlier. 
Yeah, I just think the pacing would have moved along a little bit nicer because that frenetic pace at the end actually makes it so enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Peter breaking the window, hearing the scream, like he didn't hear enough of the screaming to, to barge down on her doors. Nowadays, it makes more sense nowadays if they made this movie for peter to be the red herring or you know and just it it, and not being the real killer nowadays yeah i feel like back in 74 they hadn't reached that kind of wink wink uh sophistication yet yeah personally personally but there's but you know i i i i like what they did with it i like the, the the creep factor still exists um and overall like it's such an enjoyable flick and a Christmas time movie, demented Christmas movie, you know, that you, you need to watch with watching this movie alone. You'll get the shit scared out of you. Yeah. Watching it with other people, you'll be entertained. Don't watch it alone unless you really want to be scared. Yeah. (laughs) And ends a beautifully shot film. And, uh, Oh yeah. Rest in peace, Bob Clark. I, I, I meant to, you know, I, I wonder if, those answers are those questions are answered on like a commentary on the uh, the Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, you know, I I didn't know that there was that there were questions, but I mean we've we've already discussed it, and I do believe that that at least you're right in in thinking that. So I am curious. I'm curious to hear from our listeners what you all think. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very curious as to like what the actual intention was here, but. But more so, guys and gals, let us know. Uh, let us know on social media what you all think, and and we'll do a poll uh, because I am curious. I, I kind of didn't I didn't expect th- this question to come up. I thought that w- yeah, I just thought my way was the right way, but that's not the case, and that's that's an assumption. I made an ass out of you and me, Zach. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm just saying I'm right. And you're <laughs> there wrong. you go. There you go. And you know what's always right. Two dollar late fee, boom, oh. baby. <laughs> well, you know, as we like to say, or as as Ace Hunter likes to say at the end of our episodes, the good guys always win, even in the eighties. Uh, and I bring that up because, man, oh man, this this by the time this episode airs on Podcasting After Dark, uh, we will have launched. We have three episodes in the month of December. We covered uh, Ski School. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then we have a very, very feel-good interview with Sally Kirkland, legendary actress. And if you don't know who Sally Kirkland is, shame on you. You should because she's done like 300 movies or something. Um, She's like the Eric Roberts of female actors. But she is a legendary actress. Her interview is really wild in a good way. And then we wrap up the month of December with uh, Dean Cameron and Stuart Frack in the stars of Ski School. And it is a funny, funny, funny interview. Uh, those two guys have been in a bunch of movies in the 80s that you love. And then we're kicking off 2022 in a big way, a mega force way. And if you don't know what that means, go check out our pad or go check out our Instagram page for more details. Uh, but yeah. $2 late fee. Oh, we've got a contest. I'm sure at this point we've got a contest. We've got, we're actually, we've got a bunch of Blu-rays we need to give away from Vinegar Syndrome. So uh, we'll be doing that soon. <laughs> and uh, details to follow. Beep, beep. <laughs> and, but you know what? Dustin, beep, beep, and is uh, 
Cartwright, <laughs> a Seinfeld podcast that Corey, Hori Corey is a part of. That's Corey, a, what what are you doing over at Cartwright? <laughs> Cartwright? Well, we are wrapping up season seven, so that's pretty much in the can. Um, by the time you listen to this, we've not quite ended it, but it's in the can on our end. And yeah, it's Seinfeld, baby. I love it. I love fucking Seinfeld. It's the best thing ever. Uh, we are also tackling Curb Your Enthusiasm on the Cartwright Patreon. So I'm fully inundated when, when I'm not talking about, uh, cult movies or, or watching cult movies or breaking cult movies down, I'm watching Seinfeld, baby. So it's, it's awesome. I love it. And, uh, of course, go check out all the shows on the BFOP network. Our Canadian pals that we have insulted thoroughly this episode, uh, talking back in action, action. Those guys are awesome. Go check out Blast from Our Past. Go check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. People Don't Forget. Uh, Cartwright of Seinfeld Podcast. And check out the friends of our shows that aren't in the networks, like Ready to Retro. And, of course, $2 Late Fee. We love those guys. Who are those guys? We love them, baby. <laughs> well, I was going to say, too, I know we've in- insulted many of our Canadian friends, but I must say... Say, uh, in our uh, BFOP kind of roundtable discussions, my boys, my boys at Action Action and Talking Back, we got each other's backs. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's so there's nothing but love, and we're busting balls in the most silliest of ways. Of course, of course, right, y'all, <laughs> right, y'all. Uh, we're, wait, we're we're, yeah. we're busting balls, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and they're leaving the network. <laughs> yeah. Fuck these guys. Fuck them. Fuck, Fuck them. And of course, go check out Seven Winters Alone, published by us, written by our pal David Irons. Uh, you can go check out his his Session 9 house on his Instagram, David Irons Jesus. Writer. And uh, yeah, good stuff there. But go check out Seven Winters Alone. Pick up a copy. We have a hardback. We have a paperback. And it's available on Kindle. So check that out. It's, it's an awesome, awesome story. And uh, check out our Patreon. We got all kinds of good shit going on there. And it's all, and we're getting more good shit on there. The t- uh, news to follow yeah. very soon, guys. So you want to be checking out the Patreon uh, because it's gonna be great. It's it gonna, is, it's gonna so be much, great. Yeah, there's gonna be so much stuff we're gonna add to that, and uh, it's gonna be sharp. So you just gotta <laughs> check it out. And you know, Sever Winters Alone. It's such a great book. Uh, it would make a great stocking stuffer if you're into that Christmas stuff. Or if you get a gift card to Amazon, go go on Amazon and uh, just get one because it's not that expensive. And you know what? It puts money in the pockets of the guys who uh, uh, helped make it come to life. So there you go. <laughs> and as always, we'll get you on the dark side, eh? Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark.
on the winter solstice, when the lasting darkness threatens to descend upon the land of Atalan once united, Magi in training, Wilt Garen, and his shepherd, warrior in training, Bredain Adair, must find an ancient lost weapon before the ultimate ancient evil returns to the world of Aeos. Hi there, I'm Adiella Jackson, writer of the First Noel's Chronicle podcast. The First Noel is an epic, family-friendly adventure told in serialized form. Think of it as Lord of the Rings meets, well, Christmas. Join us each week for the next thrilling chapter of The First Noel, now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and all major podcasting apps, as well as Kindle Vela if you want to take a read. Thanks, and see you in Adelan. The Winter Tell is almost here. This is Charlie with Give Me Back My Action Movies. And Dan. Join us every two weeks as we dive into the classic action movies of the 80s and 90s. That's right, Charlie. But we also take a look at some of the current films out there that still has those nostalgic feels for us. Exactly. So make sure you find us on all your major podcasting platforms. And check us out over on Facebook. We have a group where the conversation's always going 24-7. We're having a good time. I think so. I'll be back. 